Hey everybody, what's happening? This uh, today is uh, May third, and uh, May twelfth is uh, my next big comedy date. I'm in Dallas. Well, I'm in Grand Prairie. There's a UFC in Dallas on the thirteenth. So on Friday the twelfth, the night before, I'm at the Verizon Wireless Theater with Tony Hinchcliffe and Ian Edwards. And then the next one after that is July 7th at the Ka Theater at the MGM. And that's with Tony Hinchcliffe as well. Uh, tickets available at JoeRogan.net forward slash tour. And I uh, got a bunch of other ones that are coming up that I think next week we're going to announce. So I got like 30 dates. Bunch of shit happening. All right. Uh, this episode of the podcast is brought to you by one of my favorite sponsors, Squarespace. Squarespace, which is an awesome way for you to create your own website. Many, many people want a website but don't know where to start. And usually you wind up trying to hire someone to do it and it doesn't really match your vision. And there's a whole trial and error period. It's a pain in the ass. I am telling you now there is a solution that's easy, fast, simple, and you can do it yourself. Even if you're not like a computer-inclined person, Squarespace makes it so easy. They have a really simple, easy-to-use, drag-and-drop user interface with beautiful templates and award-winning 24-7 customer service. It's so easy to do that if you can do normal stuff with your computer, like if you can attach a photo to an email, move files around on your desktop, you can make a website, and it'll look fucking fantastic. They have access to literally... I want to say millions of Getty images. Isn't it millions? It's millions of Getty images for 10 bucks each. They would have cost you hundreds, if not thousands of dollars to get the rights to use these photographs. I mean, beautiful photos. You can have access to them for 10 bucks each. I mean, come on. They have some and some of the sweetest websites made on Squarespace. If, if, if you go to DougStanhope.com, that's a Squarespace site. If you go to DuncanTrussell.com, that's a Squarespace site. We used, um, we had a contest, and we had a gang of websites that were put together. It was so hard to pick the best one because Squarespace just makes it so easy to make a beautiful, professional-looking website. Each one comes with a free online store. So if you're, like, selling music or art or anything like that, so easy to set up. You get a free domain name if you sign up for a year. I'm telling you, Squarespace is an awesome solution. And it will look great on everything. It's also an all-in-one platform, meaning there's nothing to install, nothing to patch, nothing to upgrade ever. You can't go wrong. Squarespace is used by a wide range of creatives, people, businesses, musicians, restaurants, artists, and more. For a free trial and 10% off your first purchase, go to squarespace.com forward slash Joe. That's for a free trial and 10% off your first purchase, squarespace.com forward slash Joe. We're also brought to you by ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter is an awesome resource if you're trying to hire somebody. If you're trying to hire somebody and you have a business and you need to hire somebody, usually means you're low on resources, which means you don't have time to be running around checking all these different job pages and putting up these ads for the person and trying to find the right person and reviewing all the res responses and replies. ZipRecruiter has a simple, simple solution. 
With ZipRecruiter, you can post your job to 100-plus job sites, including social media networks like Facebook and Twitter, all with a single click. You can find candidates in any city, any industry nationwide. Just post once and watch your qualified candidates roll into ZipRecruiter's easy-to-use interface. No juggling emails or calls to your office. You quickly screen the candidates, rate them, and hire the right person fast. You could find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by Fortune 100 companies and thousands of small and medium-sized businesses. And right now, listeners of this podcast can post on ZipRecruiter for free by going to ZipRecruiter.com forward slash Rogan. That's ZipRecruiter.com forward slash Rogan. Again, for free, you can try ZipRecruiter for no money, you fuck, by going to ZipRecruiter.com forward slash Rogan. We're also brought to you each and every episode by Onnit.com. O-N-N-I-T. We are a total human optimization company. What we believe in is providing you with all of the tools, all of the inspiration, uh, all of the information that you need to get your shit together. We believe that um, you can always do better, right? I mean, I think most people believe most people that are trying to do well in life are trying to constantly improve themselves. What we're trying to do with on it is consolidate, put in one place, a lot of the tools that you need to get your shit together, whether it's through strength and conditioning equipment, like kettlebells and battle ropes and steel clubs and sandbags and things along those lines, things that promote what we call functional strength, meaning things that you're, where you're strengthening your body as one unit so that you you can apply it directly to athletic performance. Um, if you listen to this podcast, you know I'm a gigantic fan of kettlebells. I think it's one of the very best methods of conditioning and strengthening your entire body, and we have a full line of kettlebells. Uh, we also have steel clubs and maces and all sorts of cool shit. We have fantastic supplements, uh, including hemp force protein powder, which is without a doubt my all-time favorite protein supplement. It's made from hemp. No, you won't test positive for pot. It's uh, THC-free, but it's the finest quality hemp protein that contains all the essential amino acids. It's very healthy for you, very, very easy to digest, which is why I like it because I'm always on the move. I can mix up a, uh, a nice drink of it, and it actually tastes good. It's good for you, and it tastes fucking good. What? Does it really? Yes, it does. It really does. Um, it's a smooth, silky protein powder. Um, it's, it's not like the, if you get buy cheap protein, uh, hemp protein, it's kind of gritty and tastes like you're eating dirt and sand. Um, ours is really delicious and very easy to digest, very smooth, almost like a talcum powder and, um, hemp force active has earth grown nutrients with it as well. Um, super, super yummy as well. Um, we it comes in a bunch of different flavors. I'll read you the different flavors here. We got Mm-hmm. Here we go. What do we got here? Um, my favorite is the chocolate, but I know there's other ones. Why can't I find this? Oh, here it is. Sorry. We have uh, Hemp Force Active, which is in the cho- the cocoa, cocoa and maca, but we also have vanilla acai. Ooh, yummy. The vanilla one's really good too. Those are the two ones that we have. 
vanilla acai and uh, cocoa. I prefer chocolate. I'm a chocolate guy over vanilla. I'm not a, I'm not a vanilla hater. Um, but Earth Grow Nutrients is something that is uh, also a, a beautiful supplement that we have at, on it. It's a great way to get your greens in without um, having to actually eat a salad. Maybe, again, if you're on the run. I mean, it would be nice if we all weren't on the run all the time, but the reality is most of us don't have enough time. Do you have enough time? I don't. I don't. We have also emulsified MCT oil, which is another standard in my diet. If you see me uh, pouring, if you listen to the podcast, you see me pouring this stuff. Uh, into my coffee. The beautiful thing about emulsified MCT oil is, uh, unlike regular MCT oil, it mixes very easily with cold beverages. And you just squirt it in there, and you get uh, an awesome supply of uh, essential fats, brain food, beautiful flavors, again, that easily mix into hot or cold. And we have a bunch of flavors of that. We have vanilla, strawberry, coconut, and we have a new one, which is like a pumpkin spice. Ooh, Yummy. Uh, too many good things to, to, to mention if I just wanted to keep going on and on and on about all the beautiful products that we have at Onnit. But I want you to check out, if you're interested in Onnit, check out the Onnit Academy link, and that will give you a good understanding of what we're all about. It's a section of the site filled with hundreds of articles, all on um, different strength and conditioning routines, uh, on nutritional advice, uh, on nutrient absorption, vitamin absorption, on different workouts of the day. There's different inspirational articles. There's uh, interviews with different cool people. And there's also a physical on academy, which is in Austin, Texas. It's a great state-of-the-art gym with uh, awesome workout equipment and 10th Planet Jiu-Jitsu and Bang Muay Thai now as well. Uh, Dwayne Bang, Bang Ludwig's Muay Thai system there, as well as, of course, Eddie Bravo's 10th Planet Jiu-Jitsu. So you have a full range of martial arts to uh, train in there. And uh, John Wolf, who's the head instructor, is just one of my all-time favorite strength and conditioning coaches, just a genius man with a wealth of knowledge. So if you're in Austin, Texas, definitely check that out. And we're going to try to expand those all across the land eventually. Go to onnit.com, use the code word ROGAN, and save 10% off any and all supplements, my friends. All right. My guest today is Justin Brown, and Justin uh, works for the um, National Park Services. He's a coyote expert. He tracks urban coyotes in and around Los Angeles. I read a really fascinating article about what they were finding and how they were finding these animals, like living in downtown L.A. and so many of them. And uh, just a really cool guy and an interesting guy and gave us a lot of insight on these these animals. So I hope you enjoy this podcast as much as I did. Give it up for Justin Brown. Joe Rogan Podcast, check it out. The Joe Rogan Experience. Train by day, Joe Rogan Podcast by night, all day. And we're live with Justin Brown. Justin, first of all, I'm very upset they gave you such a small badge. <laughs> What's up with that? Yeah, no, it's nice and tiny there. Not yeah. law enforcement, so. It seems like you should have like, like you've, you, there's some badge there. There's some enforcement, <laughs> right? It sure looks like it, doesn't it? But yeah, no, no law enforcement on my end. I'm just a biologist. So. Well, listen, man, I've, I've read about your work in um, uh, an online article. I don't remember where it was, but mm -hmm. about coyotes in the urban area all around Los Angeles. And I've been fascinated by this since I moved to L.A. The first time I saw a coyote was in 1994 when I first moved here. I was in Burbank. 
and uh, I had an apartment and what you know one of those um, they have those uh, pre-furnished Oakwoods Gardens apartment on Olive Street. You know where that is? Uh, not off the top of my head, but it's where people always when they they transition to L.A. they get one of these pre-furnished apartments. So you, you know. Anyway, yeah, I'm driving up Olive and I saw these coyotes. And it was the first time I'd ever seen a coyote. And I was like, this is crazy. Like, this is in Burbank. This is in a residential area. And they were just hanging out. And I pulled over, and I stopped, and I rolled down the window, and I I was staring at them, and they're staring at me. And they didn't give a shit about me. They were so calm. And they didn't run. And I just remember thinking, this is so strange. These are like wild dogs that live... Like right amongst us. And then from then on, I've had some encounters. I had a coyote steal a chicken from my yard. I watched him mm. hop the fence with a chicken in his mouth. I've, I've had quite a few encounters with coyotes, but I'm, I'm absolutely fascinated by them. I mean, they've been amazing. I've been working with them now for almost 15 years, actually a little bit more than that now. And I've seen them do some amazing things. I mean, they're able to live in some of the most urban environments we can imagine. I mean, I'm tracking them right next to, I don't know if you know where the Westlake neighborhood is in downtown L.A., but yeah. I had a coyote running that neighborhood, which when I first drove through there, so I worked in Chicago for a long time. We were tracking coyotes in some incredibly urban areas there, like right along Lakeshore Drive in Chicago. And But in Chicago, there's some green spots where when you get down in L.A., there's not a lot of open spots. Yeah. There's some little vacant lots and stuff. Um, but I tracked this coyote for about nine months down there in that area, and she was just amazing. Like, she was running the streets. She'd kind of hang out in these little vacant lots. And what was even more amazing is that no one was really complaining about her. We actually talked to people in some of the houses and stuff. They were actually fascinated to see them versus yeah. being like, they're in my backyard. What are they doing? Well, people have That's always crazy. had a weird relationship with coyotes. I had um, Dan Flores on the podcast last mm-hmm. month, who's the author of Coyote America. Yep. And uh, he's a, a wildlife historian and has just some amazing insight into, like, the relationship the coyotes had way back with the Native Americans. You know, they thought they were gods in, in a lot of ways. Yeah, I, I actually listened to your podcast with Dan. It was great. Dan's got some pretty interesting facts just in his book in general, things I didn't actually know about before. It's, it's kind of nice to have a historian tie in some of the facts. I, I get lost, asked lots of questions about where the coyotes came from, how they're moving around. Yeah. Um, and so it's nice to have something like Dan's book to kind of reference people to. I think most people in the downtown LA probably welcome something like a coyote because it's kind of cool, you know, to have this thing like hanging around you, as long as you don't have a dog or a cat that it snatches. <laughs> yeah, and that's definitely the case. A lot of people think it's cool, but they do cause problems. Um, I'm actually dealing with one in the Silver Lake neighborhood that keeps going up to people walking their dogs and trying to, it's got a den in somebody's backyard. It's actually dinning under their deck, so the deck's open, and she put all her seven pups underneath this den whoa yeah so it's pretty crazy um but she would basically anybody gets close with a dog she comes out and tries to run them off and this is pretty common during pupping season this is like the time when most people have issues with coyotes because they're trying to protect their dens i mean we're all obviously protective of our offspring right so they think that the dog is going to find the pups and kill them or something uh, I mean, we don't really know why they're doing it. We assume that's probably the case. They come up, and they, most of the attacks have been where they just come up behind the dog and start trying to, like, nip at its back. And wow. the dog, the people move on. People freak out. Um, as far as I know, there hasn't been anywhere that coyote actually, like, draw blood on the dog. So it's almost more like it's, like, get the hell out of here. Right. So they're just scaring them. They're not trying to uh, – they're not actually being predators. That's what it seems like for the most part. I mean, they definitely do kill little dogs. Yeah. Um, and occasionally end up fighting with big dogs as well. But that's that's rare. Wow. So these, what are they eating? Like, the, especially the one in downtown. 
Yeah, so that's that's interesting. Um, we've actually been doing this study using a, working with a bunch of citizen scientists, and I don't know if that's the story you read or not, but we're basically having people collect coyote scat from around downtown LA, <laughs> and then we're actually breaking the coyote scat up to look what's in it. And we're seeing a huge variety of things. I mean, lots of fruits and stuff. They're actually big time into vegeta- vegetation type stuff. They yeah. A lot of fruits. And in the urban environment, obviously, we've got peaches and plums and all kinds of crazy fruiting stuff that they take advantage of. Um, but they're also eating rats and squirrels, cats, um, insects. We've seen things like earwigs and those big old potato bugs that mm-hmm. people see. I mean, yeah. they're just eating almost anything you could think of, they're taking advantage of. Human trash. Well, I, I've had them in my yard for a long time, and one of the things that surprised me is how much coyote scat that I find with berries in it. Like, I didn't know that they were omnivores. I mean, they, they really are omnivores. They're, it's not like a, like a dog or a cat. I mean, they eat pretty much everything. Yeah, I mean, coyotes can take advantage, and that's why they're able to live amongst us. I mean, because even when there's not a lot of prey available, they do, they're able to take advantage of these different fruiting trees. Yeah, you know, I was talking with a friend about it, and he was uh, saying that he hates them, and, you know, he wants to kill them all and all this stuff. And I was saying, but, yeah, but ever notice that you don't see any rats? <laughs> like, we, we hardly have any rats. Yeah. Like, it's so rare that you see a rat or a mouse in my area. And I think a big part of that is because you hear coyotes all the time, and I think they're eating them all. I mean, they definitely take advantage of them. I mean, there's other predators, too. I'm not sure where you live exactly. Owls. But and, owls and right? hawks and bobcats stuff. Yeah. and all those different things definitely yeah. take advantage of those prey as well. But yeah, coyotes, I mean, they're amazing. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, they are really are a fascinating animal. So this, this one that got to downtown L.A., do you know, like, when it arrived? I don't know when it arrived, so I, I kind of drove through there looking to see where I might be able to collar a few animals so we could kind of see what's going on and how these animals are persisting down there. Um, and actually, how do you do that? Uh, how do I see where they're persist- no, persisting? No, how do you collar them? Oh, how do I collar them? So first we have to capture them, so we'll put out traps, we'll capture them, and then once I get them in a trap, I'll go out with a, a pole, I'll pin them to the ground, and then I'll hold them down. Jesus. I'll, I'll put a muzzle on them and hold their feet together. And then we'll throw a collar on them. We'll take blood to look for disease. You don't trank them? We don't tranquilize them. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah, they actually go very docile. They're a lot like a dog. Once you kind of show them that you're the dominant thing, they they kind of just lay over. I mean, you still have to be careful. Obviously, they can turn and bite you if you don't muzzle them. Right. But usually, once you get them down that first time, they usually just lay there until you're done. No kidding. Yeah, and it usually takes me somewhere 35, 40 minutes to do the whole thing. And they just lay there. They're not fighting me. Do you have video of that? Uh, I'm sure I do. I want to see that. <laughs> That's got to be yeah. a trip. Yeah, no. It's... I would think that they would be like a wild cat. Like, I've had a feral cat before, yeah. um, and I had her when she was a kitten, or he, rather, when he was a kitten. And he was like a f- spaz. Like, you couldn't even hold on to him. You'd freak out and climb the curtains and hiss and sputter at you. And that was like a little domestic cat that was born outside. Oh, yeah. We do drug any of our cats we catch. So we catch um, bobcats. It's another oh. study that we're doing a lot of. Uh, we've actually had a bobcat project going on since 1996, and so we've been collaring those guys for a long time. They're not docile. They're not docile. We don't trust them. Raccoons are another species. You don't handle those guys undrugged. Oh, yeah, they'll, I would imagine. They'll make you pay the price. Isn't that crazy? Like, people don't realize that raccoons are predators. Yeah, well, they're, they're, they're definitely omnivores, right. like, just like the coyotes are. They actually eat a lot of fruit and stuff. They take, I mean, part of them living in an urban environment is they're just taking the massive advantage of our garbage right raccoons just i mean we've i've seen amazing photos of like 13 14 raccoons in one garbage can all 
feasting down. I have uh, chickens in my backyard, and this one raccoon was by my chicken coop the other day, and I flashed a light on him, and he walked towards the light. <laughs> I was like, look at this cocky bitch. He just started walking at me, and I got nervous. I was like, I don't have a weapon on me or nothing. I thought a flashlight. He'd be like, well, let me get out of here. <laughs> He's just looking right at the flashlight, walking towards me, you know, yeah. trying to get to the chicken coop. Yeah, well, you'd be amazed how many people feed them. Oh, because they're so yeah. dang cute. Right. I mean, big old mask on them. People are like, oh, they're starving out there. They can't find their own food. And so they feel like they need to feed them. And same yeah. thing with coyotes, too. It's People feel like these animals can't fend for themselves, which is ridiculous because they're not able to make it there because we're feeding them. They're making it because there's resources for them to take advantage of. Yeah, I would imagine they probably play. I mean, I, like I said, I think in my neighborhood they do play an important part of keeping the rodent population down. But in downtown, there's got to be a ton of rodents as well i mean downtown for people who don't know is like the only area in all of la that really looks like a city yeah definitely i mean i like i said i drove through there i mean after tracking coyotes in chicago i didn't think they'd be in some of the areas they are in la there seem to be everywhere i look i get photos of coyotes on our cameras or get people reporting them to us and this one that's in downtown is just a single coyote by herself? No, actually, she's got a whole pack. So I collared oh. her, and then within a couple, she was actually lactating when I caught her, so I know she had pups. Oh. And then we ended up seeing her with five pups probably a week later. And there was actually a, uh ambulance that drove by, and she just started howling, and all the pups were out there yipping. And this is all, like, in this little vacant lot between two houses. Wow. Yeah. So they just find these areas where people aren't. Yeah. And so before we collared them, the one thing I always heard is, oh, the coyotes are coming in from Griffith Park or they're coming in from Elysian Park and coming into our communities and they're just here for a night or two nights causing problems and leaving. Well, that's not what we're seeing. Definitely. Once we threw these collars on these animals, we're like, no, they've got pretty small home ranges. They're kind of living just in the urban environment. They're not going back and forth. Wow. They're living with us. So do you feel like it's a good thing or a bad thing to have them around or just a thing? I think it's just a thing. I mean, it depends on your perspective. Um, I think it's bad when people think we need to feed them. We right. need to do these things like to encourage them and make them more comfortable with us. That's not a good thing because that's when bites and that kind of stuff happen. But if when it comes to the coyotes and stuff living in these urban environments, it's really all about us. It's more about managing people, getting people to quit feeding them or quit I mean, one thing I encourage people to do is scare the stupid coyote off because mm-hmm. like, there's lots of people that have little issues that occur with the coyotes. Their cats get taken or the coyotes start just sitting there watching them. I had somebody complain recently because the coyote was sitting behind their yard looking at their wife in the jacuzzi. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> so it's, coyote's a pervert. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's like, come on. Like, all he has to do, if he really doesn't want it there, go back there and run the thing off. But so he's they not call to do you it. and tell you that a coyote's yeah. staring at their wife? Yeah, you'd be amazed the calls we get about coyotes. People just people are still not comfortable with them being there, even though they've been there for a long time. It's just people cannot get comfortable with the idea of there being a, a medium-sized predator in these urban environments. They're like the perfect size to almost get away with it, too. You know, like they, it's not like a wolf. Like if a wolf was around, everybody would be freaking out. Like it's too big. Yeah, but exactly. a coyote is like, you know, 40 pounds, something like that. And that's a, that, that's a big coyote. What's a small one? Uh, so our average is around 25 to 27 pounds. Wow, okay. So you're really oh, not pretty talk- small. They are. And that's why I'm always like, when people are so scared of them, I'm like, it's really not that big of an animal. I mean, hmm. there's a lot of these small dogs that are bigger than that. <laughs> They're smart, though, man. They're really yeah. clever. One of them, um, he or she essentially, uh, what you would say, honey-dicked my dog. <laughs> And tricked my dog into uh, 
Do you know what um, what it's like when a uh, chicken molts? Yeah, I actually have chickens as well. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. So uh, my chicken was molting, so I had to separate her from um, the rest of the chickens so she wasn't in a nesting box. And mm-hmm. I put her in a cage by herself. If you let them sit in a cage for a few days, they figure out that they don't really have an egg, and then they go back to their normal behavior. Yeah. So um, this coyote was too small to knock over the cage, but my mastiff is big enough to do it. So she literally tricked my Mastiff into coming out with her towards where the chickens are. He knocks over the cage. She steals the chicken and hops over the fence. Wow, did you see all this happen? I caught him with another chicken in his mouth. And uh, I was like, you motherfucker. And then the, I see the coyote jump over the fence with the chicken. Like He was with the coyote right next to it. He thought it was his friend. Like, he was treating the coyote like, this is my friend. She's cool. We hang out together. (laughs) And she tricked him into knocking over this small pen. You know, he's like 140 pounds. He just smashed that thing and broke it open. And she grabbed the chicken. Thanks. And hopped over the fence. And I watched her. I was sitting there. I was playing like Monopoly or something with my wife and my kids. We're sitting in the living room. And I see the coyote running across the backyard with the chicken in its mouth. And hopped over this five-foot fence like it didn't even exist. Just no. boing! Just right over the top of it. I was like, wow, that's crazy. Yeah, they're incredibly smart. I mean, heck, to live in downtown, they've got to be. I yeah. see, like, crossing roads, it's amazing. Like, I watch them walk up to these busy roads. They stop about 10 feet shy, kind of sit there listening. Then they'll peek around the corner and look both ways, and then they'll run across. Well, I've heard that they understand traffic lights now. There was an article I read yesterday about coyotes and traffic lights, that there's real evidence that coyotes understand when that beep, beep, you know that beep sound that they use for uh, blind people? Yep. That coyotes understand that that means the cars aren't allowed to go, and that's when they walk. Huh. I haven't seen that one. That's interesting. It doesn't surprise me. I mean, it's incredible watching them move around this urban environment and just dealing with us and dealing with traffic. Like, they, they get around. I mean, they'll come out in the street. All suddenly somebody will peek out in the street to go around their car, and they'll cut between the cars and go down the sidewalk. Like, they, they figure out our movements and how to avoid us pretty quick. How many do you think there are in the greater L.A. area? Oh, I get asked that question a lot, and it, it's a hard one to answer because we don't know because they are pack animals. So you could end up with easily – it could be just two animals in an area, or it could be two adults with – seven young or it could even be five six seven ten adults together with a, with a pack of young as well because a lot of times the young from the year before may not disperse if there's enough food available they'll keep hanging in there until they are able to find their own territory so whenever someone would give an estimation it's really just a rough guess it's a very rough guess a lot of times what they'll do is they'll just try to be like okay this is how big of an area coyote uses and then be like okay there's this much area in la and throw a number out there but there's a lot of variables that come in. And has the do you feel like the numbers increased over the past few years or definitely not over the last few years. Um it's possible over the long run because I know there are some reports of places that there weren't coyotes like the Baldwin Hills there was some work done where they identified all the different animals there and coyotes weren't in their list. Hmm. Um so did they, they use trail that, cams like what did they use to identify the animals? Um back then I think they were doing a lot of track surveys and just going out there into the field and looking for them. Um, Track surveys meaning like looking at the ground? Exactly. Yeah, and with coyotes, they leave enough scat different places. Like if they were looking hard for them, they would have found them. How can you tell the difference between coyote scat and dog scat? Um, Usually, so dog scat is almost always just dog food. 
Um, and it doesn't, these coyote scats end up getting more circ, um, spiraled inside. And so they'll be really tapered on the ends where dog scat can be tapered, but it's usually just drastically different. Huh. Why is it tapered? Um, it's partially just the way their digestive system works and they're getting all this hair in there because they're eating these animals. And oh, so it right. gets more and more spiraled as it comes out. And we can tell them apart from like bobcats because bobcats kind of get this, they're more almost, I don't want to call it a pellet, but they're. They're smaller segmented, and they're kind of just one side's concave, one side's convex of each pellet. And so you can tell them apart. That's actually can be more difficult for some people than the dog and the coyote. I found some mountain lion shit once in Santa Monica. Not in Santa Monica, excuse me, uh, Santa Barbara. And it was very disturbing because it was a rope, like a fat rope of hairy shit. And I was like, <laughs> what is this from? And uh, I sent it to a friend of mine who is... Uh, He's very knowledgeable about animals. He's like, it's almost definitely a mountain lion. Oh. It's like, whoa, like, <laughs> somebody got got here. No, oh, yeah. Because it was, it was pretty thick rope, like a human-sized log yeah. with, with uh, all this hair in it. So yeah. It's, we actually have a lion study going in our mountains, too. We've been calling our mountain lions for a long time. I'm sure you've probably heard of P-22 in Griffith Park. I have. Yeah, yeah. that's actually an animal that one of my colleagues collared. Oh, yeah, um, that's the fo- the famous photo of the Hollywood Hills. Exactly. That is an amazing photo of that yeah. enormous cat yep. with that collar on. Yeah, that was Steve Winters with National Geographic got that photo. I mean, it's pretty impressive. He worked hard between him and my colleague Jeff. They they did a lot of work to get that photo, well, and Jamie's it's pretty amazing. Jamie's going to pull that photo up when we can take a look at it now. That is, that is an iconic photograph, man. Yep. You know what? I think we should have that photo in the new studio. We should get a print of that. Can we buy a print of that? You know where could, and someone could buy a print of that? Um, I believe you can get it from Steve Winters. Let's, Jamie, make a note of whoever this gentleman is and if he sells that. Because that is like, that seems so crazy, it doesn't even look like a real photo. Because yeah. the Hollywood sign is so perfect in the background, and the cat is fucking huge. You know what's amazing about the Hollywood sign? There's no lights on the Hollywood sign. He got that photo because he was able to do enough camera work that he made the Hollywood sign glare out. That's just from lights from the city. Really? Yeah, if you look at the Hollywood sign at night, it's not lit up like that. Wow. Look at the forearm on that thing. Yeah. I mean, that's like a thigh. Yeah. So, God, it's a huge cat. Yeah. How big yeah. do you think that is? It's a big male. I think the last time, so we've captured him three or four times now, and I think the last time he was about 100 and, oh, 120, 130, I believe. <sighs> I don't, I'm not positive of that, but it's somewhere in that area. Oh. So. Yeah, he's a good-sized cat. I mean, what's amazing, he's running in Griffith Park. He never leaves the Griffith Park general area because he's blocked by freeways. And yet, there hasn't been any conflicts with him and people besides the time he got underneath that guy's house. God, um, look at the like size that. of him. But, yeah. Jesus Christ, that's so weird. So joggers, no one gets interrupted by him. Oh, interrupt is a funny yeah. word. <laughs> <laughs> Jacked is a better word. Yeah. He doesn't He doesn't mess with people at all? No, we get sightings everywhere where people report it. But, yeah, we haven't had any, th- any conflicts with him, which has been it's amazing. I mean, he's for he's got the smallest home range of any mountain lion, male mountain lion that we know of. And like, so what is like a square mile? Is he just the park? He's just the park. I mean, he goes, he's been up by like Universal Studios right in there once or twice, like in some green strip through there. But for the most part, yeah, he's just hanging in the park and wow. then some DWP property next to the park. How big yeah. is the park? Oh, I wish I could call that number off the top of my head. Just roughly, sure. if you had a guess. Oh, yeah. I'm not good with that. No, Griffith Park. 
Yeah. yeah. I looked up there. It's like 4,300 acres or something like that. Okay. It's like the biggest in America or maybe the world. Urban park. Uh, double check. It's a pretty big park. It is. But what is but, it eating? But when you compare that to mountain lions in our main mountains, we right. usually think two mountain lions can live in the Santa Monica Mountains, which is about 150,000 acres. So his range is pretty small, 4,300 wow. compared to about 75,000 acres. That's incredible. And he's mostly eating deer. He eats some coyotes, um, raccoons, but it's almost most of the most of all of our mountain lions, all their diets deer. Well, that's one of the reasons why there's so few deer in California. <laughs> I hear that. I mean, we don't we don't know if that's truly what's going on. Uh, mountain lions they do kind of self regulate, so the big males usually kill the smaller males, and so they they do kind of control their own populations at some level. Oh, that's interesting. So the competition, they kill competition. They're not they're not uh, cannibals, though. Uh, I don't believe they eat them. Um, they usually just kill them. That's interesting. So do they kill them to bring the females to estrus, or they do them just because they're competition? We believe it's just because it's competition, because they're usually killing those yearling okay. males. After so they're killing dispersed. them once, they, once they're independent? Exactly. So, um, but they also, we have had them kill a female lion as well. So really? It's, it's not that simple. Hmm. Yeah. That's interesting. And is this in the park you found this? Yeah. Wow. So you find a dead mountain lion in the park? I mean, they have radio collars on them, so oh. we kind of know what's going on. Now, is there any concern, like, does anybody make the argument that they shouldn't be there? Does anybody ever say, hey, you know, this is where I live. I don't want this cat here. Why do you guys let this thing, this giant predator wandering around our neighborhood? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, we definitely hear that, but we also get the other side as well a lot where they want to protect every lion. Right. Um, I mean, we hear the same thing with coyotes. People don't want the coyotes there. With coyotes, it's even more tricky because we've tried to kill coyotes for a long time to try to get them out of areas. And we, we have not been successful. I mean... Places like Chicago with coyotes, I mean, they'll go through and do removals, like a lot of the landowners will do removals, and the coyotes just come back pretty quickly. Interesting. So it's really not that effective when you start trying to remove these animals. Yeah, especially coyotes, right? Yep. They're, yep. they're so crafty. Okay. Um, I read a really disturbing article about mountain lions where they were talking about the number of mountain lions that get killed every year by um, professional mountain lion hunters that the government hires Mm -hmm. because they're preying on cats and dogs and that they said that 50% of these animals, this was around the San Francisco area, that 50% of their diet was, was domestic animals, like domestic cats and dogs. Yeah, I'm not familiar with that one, but we definitely haven't seen that with ours. So this one has just got a good supply of deer, and that's just what it's eating on a regular basis? That's what it seems like. I mean, even Griffith Park, that's what they're focused on. I mean, like I said, they also kill the coyotes and the raccoons and stuff as well. But Sure. The, the other thing that was really disturbing about that article, because the, uh, the author was trying to make a connection between missing children. Yeah. They were talking about uh, several cases over the years where children were missing and never found again, and these are the same areas where these mountain lions were roaming, and they were wondering whether or not that had been the case. And that makes yeah. you just go, whoa. Yeah, I mean, I think it's probably more likely human-caused than wildlife-caused. I mean, maybe we're, we're way creepier than these animals are. <laughs> <laughs> That's true, but do you remember about two years ago, uh, there was a case in Cupertino right near the Apple campus where a mountain lion attacked a kid? And uh, the father had to fight the mountain lion off. I mean, these stories definitely pop up every once in a while. But yeah. we also have lots of places where there's lions and there's no issues. Right. I mean, our mountains, we haven't had a light, uh, human lion issue. I mean, we've had livestock taken, but that's about it. And we're talking a park that gets huge amount of visitors. 
Griffith, and yeah. lots of lion. Well, Griffith, but also the whole Santa Monica Mountains. Right. So we're part of the Santa Monica Mountains National Recreation Area. And we've got, at any given time, we could have 12 to 15 lions in there. Wow, really? And, and we've never had a human lion issue besides livestock. What is the big issue when they do attack people? Because it's always like someone either running or on a bike. Is it they think that the person is trying to get away? Is it like a cat thing, like a regular cat? You know, like if you th- th- roll a ball, a yarn in front of a cat, they just jump on it? Yeah, I don't think we really have a full understanding, but it probably has something to do with the prey drive. Yeah, because I've, I've read a few uh, mountain lion attacks on people that had to do with mountain bikes. And I was, I was thinking, like, why would they want to attack someone on a bike? It seems like a bike would be scary. Yeah, I mean, they're an ambush predator, and they're, they're big animals, so they're not used to having anything bigger than them take them on. So right. they're, not, they're not that fearful of most things. I mean, a lot of times when people see the lions, they, they don't run, and so people freak out, but that's, that's actually not that uncommon for them just to kind of sit there and look at you and judge your situation. Yeah, try to figure out what they can do with you exactly. or whether or not they should eat you. <laughs> <laughs> Hope that's not what they're thinking, but... <laughs> right, most likely not, right? Yeah, most likely not. But how, like, what are the numbers of attacks on people? Do you know, like, if you uh, had yeah. a, you'd have to talk to my colleague? I'm definitely not the lion guy in our office. Right. I'm much more focused on coyotes. Do you remember the last time you heard of a lion attack on people? Um, no, nah, off the top of my head, I mean, it might have been that apple thing, or there was there was attack in Orange County quite a while back. Um, but that's really it. It's not that common. There's a especially for lion, not the number of lions that are here. There's a mountain lion in San Juan Capistrano that's been attacking this farm. A buddy of mine, uh, Ian McCall, who's a UFC fighter, has a friend who owns this farm, and this mountain lion has been hitting this farm every now and again. And the other day, it killed 37 ducks and a goat. Just wow. goes on a rampage. Yeah. And doesn't even eat them. Just fucks them up and leaves. Yeah. So what we usually see with them is, I mean, because they almost always eat what they kill. It's just when they kill something in a farm, they usually end up being uncomfortable afterwards because we come in, we see the situation, things change, and so they don't come back because they'll feed on a deer for a week or more. Right. So it's, it's, I think it's more of a factor. When they leave those things, it's more that they just all sudden like, oh, crap, what'd I do? I got to get out of here. Why'd they kill 37 then? It's just prey drive. I mean, oh, they just can't get, help themselves. Yeah, they get in. There's times when they get in pens with bigger animals too, things like llamas and stuff, where they'll end up killing multiple animals yeah. just because they get in this pen and then all suddenly they're jumping around, making all these noises, and so then the animals get excited. And I mean, it's yeah. just like a do- dogs that get in after chickens. All of a sudden, the dog goes in and kills the whole flock of chickens. Right. It's the same type right. deal. They just can't help themselves. Yep. Yeah, so. there's that one that's in the Santa Monica Mountains. What is it? P52? Is that the name of it? Which uh, P45. 45? I, I'm guessing if that's what you're talking about. Is the that the one stuff. that killed a bunch of llamas and mm-hmm. the woman got a depredation permit to kill the mountain lion and then people yep. freaked out and started sending her death threats? Yeah, it got a little out of control. Yeah, it's like it was really creepy listening to this woman's position because she didn't know what to do because she's... You know, she lives there, mm-hmm. she's got this farm, and this big old cat just keeps coming in and fucking up like 10 llamas yeah. in, a, in, a, in a setting. Yeah, so us and National Wildlife Federation actually started working with her to try to help pin her animals up better, because a lot of it just comes to making sure your animals are secure at night. Is that what it is? Like, you have to figure out a way to close the area so the mountain lion can't get into it? Exactly, and it Was doesn't she... take anything that complicated. We actually held a workshop for people in the the local vicinity and we'll be holding more to teach livestock owners how to secure their animals so that that stuff doesn't happen is there a way they can um do something that like uh emits a sound or something that scares them off so there are some devices out there that are being tested and being used in some vicinities but 
nothing's 100%. The problem with a lot of devices is you've got livestock moving around, so they're going to be triggering the devices all night. Oh, right. And so it, it's, it's kind of a tough situation. The best thing is to try to pin the animals up. So you have to put something with a roof on it so the mountain lion can't get in over the top. Exactly. So when you're talking about an animal like that, like when they, they – sometimes they capture them and then they move them to a new area, right? Um. That is very rare to happen. Is it really? Yeah. Like when we capture animals, we don't move anybody. You just we, let them go right back to where they are. We collar them. them. We take blood. We do what we need to do to them. And then we just let them go right there. So is the idea like mess with them as little as possible? Exactly. Yeah. If we didn't have to capture them, we wouldn't capture them. We would just throw it. If there was a way to get a collar on the animal without right. touching it, we would do that. Like but maybe a dart that shoots feasible. a GPS unit in them or something? Yeah. Whatever the technology is, if it ever comes up that way, most wildlife people would prefer. Because the least we have to do to them, the more we're going to understand their right. behaviors. Yeah. I would imagine this cat in Griffith Park, you said it's been captured three times? Yeah. That's kind of crazy. Might even be four. I can't remember. I'm not, like I said, I'm not right. the guy that does all the lion work, so I just help out. The cat must be like, Jesus Christ, they got me again? Like, uh, <laughs> the third time, yeah. he's probably like, I'm so tired of wearing the stupid yeah. jewelry they keep putting on me. Yeah, well, I don't know. You might have saw the pictures, too, where he got he was really sick with mange. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, and so... We, they got a medication? So we caught him, and we have a topical medication that we can give animals. We do it to bobcats and stuff. So what we found with this mange disease is that it's caused by rodenticides. Uh-huh. So all these rat poisons we put out there basically ends up getting into the mountain lions and the bobcats and the coyotes. And oh. there seems to be some sort of correlation between those poisons and why these animals get sick. Oh, is that him right there with mange? Yep, that's yeah. him. Yeah, that's fascinating. That is a real issue with people poisoning um, these yeah. animals so that it also affects owls, apparently. Definitely. Rat poison is causing uh, a drop in the owl population because the owls are getting a hold of these rats that are sick from yep. the... Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, well, it's amazing. I mean, to think of a mountain lion getting rat poisons. It's not like they're yeah. out there hunting rats. Right. But it's because they're killing the coyotes that then are, that are eating the rats that are sick. Oh, Is what we okay. believe is happening. So a mountain lion wouldn't eat a rat? I mean, they might. But, but for them to eat enough rats, they're not just sitting there focusing on rats. It's really not so a big, big enough prey source for them. Right. So they're they're definitely focusing more on the coyotes and the bigger prey. I can't believe there's that many mountain lions in the Santa Monica Mountains. That's crazy. Yeah. And the, these are collared mountain lions, correct? Not all of them. There's definitely some out there that are uncollared. We can only get what we can capture. So, And so like when you make an estimate of like, would you say 15? Is that what you said? That We think that's our upper size limit. How many of them are collared? Um, I think right now we're around eight or nine. Yeah, I wish I wish Jeff was in here. He could answer these questions mm. a lot better than me. Because, like I said, I'm. I'll get Jeff in here next time. <laughs> yeah, so it's it's so fascinating because California is such an, a unique area in that we are very urban, mm-hmm. you know, but we're real spread out, and we've got these Santa Monica Mountains right there, like in yeah. Topanga, yeah. right there. I mean, Topanga. Yeah. I have a buddy who lives in Topanga. You go in his backyard, you would swear to God you're in Colorado <laughs> or something. I mean, it just yeah. it it seems like the wilderness. Yeah, you know? the, the mountains are amazing. I mean, it's 155,000 acres. Oh, Jamie's got a, a map there. he pulled up of all the mountain lions. Ah, look at them all. Jesus. Yeah. So obviously the the Santa Monica Mountains are just there south of the 101. Um, basically, so the park is basically from the Hollywood Hills out to Point Magoo, and then incorporates most of Malibu, and then it goes a little bit up into Simi Hills. Um, but the mountains themselves are mostly south of 101. This is such a unique place to live. That we're so sur- sort of surrounded by nature in a lot of ways. Yep. And there's so many different places. Like you could go to Big Bear in an hour and a half 
and you're in the woods. Yeah. I mean, you are literally in the wilderness. Yeah. That's a great thing about L.A. It's yeah. why we all like living here, right? It's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. But people are super uncomfortable with the fact that this wildlife sort of interfaces with mm-hmm. our urban environment. And that's where guys like you come in, right? Yeah, I mean, we're we're hoping to help reduce some of these conflicts. And a lot of it comes to what we do. It's not so much with animals. I mean, with coyotes, a huge amount of the issues are because somebody next door to you is feeding them. And so the coyote's hanging around is more than Is that really should. common? Like the people leave out food? Yeah, sometimes it's intentional. Sometimes it's not. Like feeding your dog outside, it's never a good idea. Right. Having fruit trees in your backyard that are just dropping fruit constantly and no one's picking it up or cleaning it up. That's all attractant. So it's all bringing in coyotes, oh. raccoons, possums, skunks. All these animals are coming in and taking advantage of that stuff. So, Do you think they eat olives? Uh, have we seen olives? Probably would take advantage of them here and there, but I don't think it's like a super big food source for them. I haven't seen any spots. So we've been doing this diet study for a little while now, and olives are not one that pops up regularly. Because my dogs eat them. That's what I'm asking. Yeah. My dogs catch them when they fall out of trees, and it's the same yard, obviously, where the coyotes have been visiting. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't rule it out. But definitely, if you have anything like figs, we find tons of figs in their figs. scat. Yeah, figs really? are a big So one. they really like figs. They do. And figs fruit twice a year, a lot of the varieties of figs. And so they're, they're a lot. So the coyotes just kind of learn to key in on them. Oh, okay. And probably a lot of calories there, too, for them, right? Exactly. What are those little tiny red berries that they like to eat? Uh, pyrocantha, maybe? Is that what it is? I think so. And that's not even edible to humans, right? Not, I don't think so. But coyotes can eat them. Yeah. They ca- I mean, whether it's edible to us or whether we would want to eat them is the right. different question, I guess. Yeah, they're out, a lot. They're they out there lot. grinding. Exactly. They're eating a lot of things that we would not touch. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> I mean, they, they go off, pick stuff up off the road, nasty little, it looks like just putty on the road. I've seen them grab stuff. Ugh. Yeah, I've seen, I mean, coyotes, they're just, they're crazy. I mean, there's a lot of these talk about coyotes going after cats and all that, and there's no question they eat cats. I've seen them. One of our collared animals was actually eating a cat. It and two of its pack mates were sitting there just eating this cat in somebody's front yard, which I'd never seen. I knew they ate them. Have you seen that video but, of the coyote eating the cat that someone captured in Los Angeles? Uh, I don't think so. It's a great video yeah. because these people from their car are filming this coyote that's right there on the street in busy L.A. And it's just staring at people, chewing on this cat. Cat. Yeah. It's like, ooh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> we played it for Dan Flores, and Dan has the opinion, he's of the opinion that uh, a lot of these cats that are getting killed by these coyotes, like here's some coyotes just wandering across the street. I mean, this is really crazy because this is as urban as it gets. Mm-hmm. I mean, busy street, and this coyote's just hanging out. And so these people followed this coyote all around the street. Does it look like that has a collar? Why did I see a No, no, it's no not collar. But it, Dan thinks that the coyotes are eating the cats because they're competitive predators. Um, so that has definitely been seen with things like foxes. There he is. So just chilling, eating a cat right in front of everybody. I mean, that's crazy. Did they actually see it? I'm guessing they didn't see it actually catch the cat. No, because the cat's they... stiff. Yeah. So. See how stiff that cat is? That cat looks like it's been dead for quite a while, but yeah. he's just chewing on that cat in front of everybody. Yeah. That coyote, actually, you see how its face looks kind of bald? Mm-hmm. That coyote may actually have mange. And you think that could be from rat poison? Uh, with the coyotes, it's a little more complicated than that. Um, we think it's a different type of mange they get. So we don't think that's directly tied to rat poisons. It could be still, but we're just it's kind of uncertain with those guys. And some of it is because of bugs as well, right? So mange is actually caused by a mite. Yeah. And it just irritates their skin, and they end up scratching their own fur off. Oh, that's it? Yeah. Really? Yep. 
I thought it just felt, look at that one cat. It's like, oh, that's my friend. <laughs> uh, dude, that cat is so crazy. He's just sitting there watching this coyote. Yeah. So but what a dumb cat. <laughs> well, I saw a cat in the middle of a street. A coyote was walking down the street. I thought it was a bag of garbage. I was about 100 yards away, and I was sitting here watching this coyote go to it. I was like, oh, the coyote's going to get into this garbage. Next thing I know, this coyote circles it three times, walks off. All of a sudden, the thing jumps up and walks away. I was like, whoa, did I just see that? Wow. Could not believe it. Like, because even, like, I know it's complicated, but I was like, that was a pretty easy prey. They could have just grabbed it. So, so are coyotes much faster than cats? Is that what it is? Well, in that scenario, it didn't have to be faster. The cat was just laying there. Right. Like, it could have grabbed it at any point. Yeah, I wonder why the cat felt calm enough to do that. Yeah, I don't know. And why the coyote didn't go after it, I have no idea. I think it's just, it's just not that simple that they go after every single cat. Yeah, well, they obviously don't, right? Yeah. Now, you, so you say that it is fairly common that people feed them. It is. I've just with tracking these animals, I've been to a bunch of places where people feel like they need to put dog food or cat food out on the street just for the coyotes or the skunks or the raccoons or whatever. Mm-hmm. They're feeding something intentionally out there and then the coyotes are taking advantage. And do you talk to these people? Do you have to have so I will occasionally, usually I just tell animal services about it and they'll talk to them. Or I, if it's somebody I'm like already having some sort of communication with, I'll definitely be like, yeah, you don't really need to feed these guys. They're, they're doing fine on their own. Yeah. All well, you're doing is encouraging them to come here. Do, yeah. Do they get that? Do you deal with some nutty animal people that don't get that? Yeah, we definitely deal with some people that don't <laughs> understand. <laughs> they feel like these animals are going to starve to death or, or die of dehydration if they don't put that bowl of water out there. Oh, that's or whatever. so crazy. So, yeah. Dan Flores had a woman who came to him and was doing a documentary on saving the coyote. Yeah. And uh, he was like, I don't think you understand. Like, they're doing great. Yeah. (laughs) They've expanded their range incredibly. Like, they're living in every big city around. I mean, from New York, Chicago, um, Toronto. Yeah, that's insane. Yeah. It's crazy. They're everywhere. Yeah, they they literally are in every state, in every city, in in the entire country, except Hawaii. Except Hawaii, yep. But yeah. what, that is so bizarre that to think that they're in Queens. Yeah. They're in, they've, they've found them in the Bronx. Oh, yeah. What's amazing, they've expanded their range over a fairly short time span, too. I mean, yeah. it's really just since Europeans have been here that they've been able to kind of expand out and do that. And that's through all this time of us trying to kill them and all that. Mm-hmm. And so I get a lot of people that want to remove coyotes from the urban environments. I'm like, well, we've been trying to do that for a long time, and it's not working. What is the solution then? The solution is just to sort of, sort of mitigate their impact on us? Well, I think we need to change what we do, yeah. I mean, it's about not making sure we don't have food out there. I mean, if the more food they have, it's been shown coyotes can increase their litter sizes, and so they produce more coyotes. And so it's, it's really about trying to reduce the amount of food that we are responsible for. That's also what I read in Dan Flores' book, that the more we impact the coyotes as far as like people trying to push them out and pressure them, the more they produce extra babies. Mm-hmm. Like, especially if they do that roll call thing when they scream out in the night and you hear them, which is amazing. That yeah. is one of my favorite things yeah. about coyotes, man. Right. When I'm out at night and like, you know, like you're sitting on the deck, like having a cup of coffee or something, you hear, you're like, yeah. wow, this is wild. Like, oh, yeah. they are really out here, like, mm-hmm. grinding. Yeah, it makes you feel you're actually out in the wild a little bit. Yeah, right, a little bit, yeah. even though, like, you're sitting on your deck listening <laughs> to music. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> also, coyotes are going off. Yeah, drinking a nice cup of coffee or something. Yeah. It's just, um, it's just, it's such a, a unique relationship that we have with that one predator mm-hmm. where it's like, I like them around. Like, I would be really weird if that was, uh, you know, any other kind of, like, scary predator. 
but coyotes are kind of cool to have around. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, definitely, I, I think the same way. A lot of people may not feel quite the same when they're dinning in their backyard, but I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I get I, that. I, yeah, I do too. I, I mean, I, I'm I'm a dog lover. I've got chickens. I've got all these things that coyotes could, yeah. could affect me as well, but I also realize that there's things I can do to make sure that they're not going to get to my chickens or they're not going right. to get to my dogs. Well, I have a puppy right now, and that's my, my big fear. It's because I have a golden retriever puppy, and mm-hmm. he is like... Golden Retrievers, I don't know if you ever had one. They they are like the most non-dog dogs. Like, they don't bark at anybody. They're terrible watchdogs. They love everybody. Mm-hmm. And they just have zero killer instinct. Like, zero. They're just <laughs> sweethearts. Yeah. And I'm just worried that he's going to get jacked. Yeah, you know? I mean, I would definitely keep him secure until he gets up to that 40, 50-pound range. Right. Once he's there, they're generally pretty safe. Yeah. So Now, they do sometimes ambush him, though, right? It happens. It's rare. Usually, most of the attacks are smaller dogs. However, there are definitely cases where they've gone even after something as big as your Mastiff. That's um, crazy. I mean, it's pretty rare that happens. Um, the whole coyote dog thing is complicated. I bet you if you Google dogs and coyotes playing on YouTube, you would find a dozen videos very quickly. Yeah. Yeah, because we've actually looked at some of that, and it's just like that, that relationship's not as simple as just like they're going to go after the dogs. No, they play around together, but then they'll kill them and eat them. Yeah. Which is just like, what kind of relationship do we have, man? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and we don't know how often they actually eat them. We think sometimes they just kill them and carry them off because that's the same thing they do with foxes. Really? Yeah. So like gray foxes and red foxes, the coyotes will kill them, but they generally don't eat them. Which, really? When you start thinking ecologically, it makes sense, right? Like they're so related that there's lots of diseases that could be transmitted between them. So oh. it's kind of a risk anytime you eat something that's very closely related to you. Oh, that's fascinating. So essentially the same thing is like a mad cow disease. Exactly. Yeah. Which is comes from the prions, which is we feed cows cow material, and then they get that, what is it called, Jacob's Crutzfeld disease? I think that's right. Yeah, which is the same disease that they find in cannibals in, um, where, where is it, what country is it that they find that in? Indonesia? Hmm. Mm. I forget where it is. Um, but That's interesting. That's essentially the same thing. The same, yeah. Yeah, I mean, anytime you start, and that's just one disease. I mean, there's lots of parasites and stuff, too, that if you're, they transfer between similarly related species much easier than it does to, say, between a cat and a dog. Wow. So, I mean, there's a lot of spillover in zoonotic diseases between wildlife and domestic animals. Um, luckily, we have lots of vaccinations for things I'm sure you've heard of, like parvo and distemper. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so there's there's vaccinations we can give our animals to take care of that. Obviously, these wild animals just have to deal with it. Yeah, distemper is very common, right? I it had is. a dog that parvo had to be put too. down. Yeah. And parvos, it's also deadly to puppies, right? They get that. Exactly. Uh, parvo is very common in this area. We actually, not just right down the street here, we lost some pups to parvo. And is this uh, something that's transmitted through wildlife as well? It can be, yeah. So we're not exactly sure if it's only wildlife to domestic. It's probably both. It's probably being moved between the different populations. So, I mean, luckily, if we vaccinate well, we can reduce that spread. But people have to be good about vaccinating their animals. So do you guys have a mandate, like, when it comes to studying uh, coyotes and when it comes to dealing with them? Like, what is the overall emphasis on? Is it on just understanding their range, where they are, or is it, do you try to do something with them? So our role is to try to help protect wildlife within 
national park areas. Um, and so what we try to do is we try to get as most understanding we can so we can help reduce conflicts, help reduce disease transmissions, help just basically help the whole ecology of these animals to make sure there's not things coming into our populations that are are going to end up affecting them. It's interesting because you know, I would think like when people start cutting budgets and they start looking for like, uh, well, where can we reduce spending? Like, there might be a few people that come along and go, hey, why do we give a shit about these coyotes? Mm-hmm. You know, does that does that come up? I mean, that always comes up anytime budgets are dealt with. Mm-hmm. But, but for us, for an important thing for us is just to make sure that we do everything we can to protect our resources within our park. And so we we've identified that this is a potential risk for our local wildlife. And so that's why we've started studying the things like the mountain lions, the bobcats. So our park is completely surrounded by urbanization. Um, we have lots of influences. I mean, our mountains are about 50% of it is privately owned. And so there's a lot of chances for development. So it's important for us to understand how development is affecting the wildlife so we can help try to mitigate that in the future. That's awesome. Now, when you're dealing with uh, these animals and you're uh, collecting data and information, do you guys share it with people that maybe uh, other peers that you have that work in much larger areas? And do you find like similar patterns and similar results? So we generally share through scientific publications. This is usually how stuff is shared kind of between us. Um, That being said, we definitely talk to other parks like Yosemite. I just recently went there to help them do some raccoon stuff. Um, and so we will definitely share information to try to help deal with similar issues. I mean, so I was up there for about three or four days and we talked about lots of different things. But one of the things they've had with coyotes is people feeding them out of the car. So like people drive through, they'll take food because the coyote's hanging off nearby and they'll throw it out the car to the coyote. Well, the coyote got so habituated to that, it would just be coming up to every car and start jumping up on cars. Whoa. And so they're like, this is, they end up having to remove the animal because all these people just end up feeding it. They would go up and scare the thing and they would, I think they even tried, I think they said they tried to paintball it. Um, (laughs) But it ended up learning who they were. Like they, it learned their cars, it learned who they were. So every time they would come up, the coyote would disappear back into the bushes, even if they tried it in their own cars. But it would Even still do it to the public. Even if they came in their own cars, the coyote recognized them? Yeah, over time, it ended up learning to recognize the people. They're too smart. They are. Wow, that's so interesting. Yeah. And I definitely noticed that even like with trapping and stuff, when we're trying to capture these animals, I feel like there's times when they definitely kind of avoid the area. Because some of these animals have been on the air for years. And so we, we try to capture them as many times as we can to keep them on there. So our collars only generally last somewhere between a year and three years, depending on what kind of collar we put on them. And so a lot of times we want to keep them on long term so we actually understand the whole life cycle, what's going on. Um, and so we'll go in and try to capture them again. But they're, they're, they're smart. They kind of learn to avoid once I start going into an area. Well, according to Dan Flores, a big part of their cleverness and also their adaptability comes from them being preyed upon by gray wolves mm-hmm. and their relationship with gray wolves. The gray wolves had left and then come back to North America. And in the meantime, coyotes had kind of thrived. And when they came back, there was a period of thousands of years of them being preyed upon by these gray wolves. So they've adapted all these different sort of mechanisms in order to stay alive. Live and to avoid predation, and one of them being that they expand their range. So as we've tried to kill them, one of the things that Dan was saying is that when they do that roll call thing, if someone's missing, the female will actually have larger litters, and then they'll expand their range. So when you shoot one, you think like, well, we're keeping the coyote population down. No, you probably raised it up by like 10, 15 percent, and you expanded their range by a few miles. 
Yeah. I don't know if it's just based off the calling. I've heard that before, and Mm -hmm. there's some dispute about whether that's the full case or not. But definitely because there's lower numbers, there's definitely more food resources available. And so it makes sense that they would then reproduce more because we definitely know if food resources go up, coyotes can increase their numbers. So, Oh, that's interesting because he was saying that it's a direct result of them being preyed upon. You, you think that's probably in dispute? Well, the preyed upon, I mean, I how, mean how shot the, or killed or, you know, removed. I mean, truthfully, it doesn't matter how the animals, how the population decreases. Mm-hmm. The fact is that it's down. So then prey numbers go up. Oh. And so then there's more prey. And so then they reproduce more. Because Dan was implying there's a direct correlation between there's a physiological event that happens inside the female that when the the population grows smaller, their litters grow larger in mm-hmm. response to the population being smaller, not necessarily in response to the increase of food supply. Um, as far as I know, the only things I've read, it's usually they associate it somehow with food supply. Mm. So it's probably maybe a combination of those factors? Or? It very well could be. I mean, it's complicated, right? right These animals obviously. are... Are crazy with what they can do. It's it is absolutely fascinating how adaptable they are. Though, is there anything yeah. like them? Um, I mean, you start thinking of things like crows. They can be pretty adaptable too. Right. They can live in a wide variety of areas. But um, they move but through three D space. They move exactly. through the air. That's a different yeah. sort of bargain. Yeah. No. I mean, the coyotes. They definitely. There's not any other species that's been able to move around the country like they have. Um, they're able to live in the most urban environments we can imagine. I mean, places that. People generally think of maybe a raccoon being able to live. I know in Chicago, they've gone into areas where they have coyotes living, and they did not have raccoons living in those same locations. Or if wow. there were, they were raccoons were very rare, and yet the coyotes seem to be able to persist, which is amazing for an animal that size. Um, it just shows how intelligent they are to be able to move around us and be able to take advantage of us. Is it because they they run faster? They're just it's probably a combination of things. They learn how to deal with roads. I mean, anytime you get in these urban environments, right? Like one thing I always like to say is so like the Westlake neighborhood. It's one of the most dangerous neighborhoods for pedestrians. Yet this coyote's running this neighborhood all the time, and it didn't have any signs of ever being struck by a car. Do you think the smartest coyote is smarter than the dumbest person? Yeah. Whoa, <laughs> that's deep. <laughs> nice yeah that I mean, is deep yeah i mean they live in places that i don't know if i could live there <laughs> wow so now what city has a is there any city in the country that actually has a legitimate problem with coyotes depends who you talk to i mean la we definitely have our issues right i mean there's been bites there's been other has situations there been bites? people oh, yeah. have been bitten yeah really? yeah legion park had some bites there's been bites down in orange county um, so Irvine they, had some bites. Are they biting homeless people? Are they biting people who take naps? What are they, what are they um, doing? It's all over the board. Usually it seems to be tied to people been feeding it. And so oh. it's almost coming up and biting like people on the hands or people on the leg. Um, I don't think any of them, none of the ones I've heard have been like where they're trying to take the person down. Really? Type thing. They've all been more like where they're coming up. And oh, none of them like, been None of them have, yes. Do you, you yeah. heard about that woman who's a folk singer in Canada that got killed? Yeah. A couple years back by coyotes? Yeah, I actually went up there a couple years after that. They actually got a study going on coyotes up there. They radio collared a bunch, and I went up there and helped them capture the first couple animals to kind of see what's going on. And that's just a crazy scenario up there. It's way different than what we see down here. The coyotes first are their eastern coyotes, so they're a little bit bigger. Um, but they're also, they've, they've kind of, there's very few food sources up there. They're dealing with snowshoe hares, which their cycles kind of fluctuate up and down. And so sometimes there could be tons of food, and other times there could be almost none. But they've learned that they can take advantage of moose during the winter, and they're actually killing moose in the snow, which you'd think of this little 40-ish pound animal taking on this huge moose. 
but they're seeing it. They do these snow um, surveys, and they're finding these dead moose that were very clearly killed by coyotes. Wow. So a full-grown moose? Yeah. That's insane. Yeah. A full-grown moose is like more than 1,000 pounds. Yeah. Yeah, I know. It's, it's amazing. I mean, obviously, these moose, in the winter, the snow gets deep, so right. they're, they're definitely, they can get stuck in things and that type of scenario. How do they, they know that them. it's coyotes that kill them and not wolves? There's no wolves there. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. I did not know that a coyote could kill a fucking moose. Yeah, well, and they had them radio collared, so they were able to see the coyotes at the carcasses and stuff, too. Wow. So when they have the radio collar, how much de- information are they getting? Do they get, like, a full, like, if you could see a map, would you see, like, the trail, like, everywhere they go? Um, it depends. So the collars have different settings. So they're GPS units. So you're, there's always a trade-off between battery life and the number of locations you can get. So you could, if you only cared about a two-week span, you could have that GPS unit take a location every 30 seconds, and you could map it out. But generally, we're interested in a broader time frame. So a lot of times we're getting, so like the lions, a lot of times it's about eight locations a day, and that's a pretty good-sized collar. On the coyotes, I usually do somewhere around six. Um, And then I'll do these little bouts where I'll do 20-minute locations a day. And so then I'll get more intense data. And then I can map out, like, where they come up to roads or where they do different things, where they're feeding. Um, So, yeah, you can get some pretty detailed data on how they're moving. So what kind of a battery source are you using on these collars that you can get such a long – like, how long does a – like, if you stretch it out the longest, how long can they last? So there's different sizes of collars. And so, like, the Lion collars are – they can be two D-cell batteries in them, which are just lithium Mm -hmm. D-cell batteries. Um, And those go about two years with a two D-cell battery. Wow. Um, You can put them on tiny little things. I mean, people have done – not with GPS yet, I don't believe, but they've even done like little bugs where they've put the... So the collars have two different things. They have a GPS and they have a VHF function. The VHF allows us to actually go out and track the animals. So when you see biologists out there with those antennas... Oh, so you literally know where they are. They are, yeah. So that's how like a lot of these observations I've talked about, that's how I see them is because they have that little beacon that goes off in their oh. collar. And so I can track them with that antenna and see where they are and get pretty close to them and see them, what they're doing. That's incredible. So they, they, they literally last two years with two D-cell batteries? Yep. And then when the two years are up, then you don't know where he is. <laughs> exactly. Fuck that. Well, what's amazing about the lions is that we can recapture them. We have really good success getting those guys back. And so Jeff's been amazing. I mean, he's been able to get these animals time after time after time. And that's why, like, uh, P-22 has been captured so many times because we have to replace the collar. Right. So it's usually about every two years we have to replace the collar. So. God, so how are they tranking that cat? Um, I mean, they're, we've done multiple things. We've gotten lucky one time and he was actually down in a hole and me and Jeff were actually there and we darted the thing and it just fell asleep in the hole, which was pretty sweet. So you saw it in a hole, like a hole in the ground? It was kind of a, a drainage channel was kind of eroded away and he was kind of down in this and there's a bunch of brush covering it. And so he felt pretty comfortable, I guess. And he just stayed there. And so we were hiking into... I don't know if we were looking for a kill or if we were just checking on him. I can't remember what we were doing, but whatever. We saw him, and so we're like, well, let's try to dart him. And so I stood there and waited for Jeff to go get the stuff, and Jeff was able to dart him when he came back. And the cat just laid there. Like, we put a dart in him. He growled at us. He laid back down and fell asleep, and we were able to process him. How creepy is it when a cat growls at you? Uh, It was actually pretty freaking cool. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I mean, it's it's pretty amazing being that close to such a big animal. How, How far away were you? Uh, probably from me to your wall. Oh, no. Yeah. Really? Yeah. 
Oh my god! So pretty close. Oh my god! Yeah. Do you have a backup gun or a taser or a we carry pepper Captain spray. America shield? <laughs> Captain America Something? shield, nice. Yeah, I'm out there pepper with my Captain spray. America shield. Come on, I got gotcha. you. <laughs> I would think that yeah. that would actually be a good move for a cat, right? Like a big old like gladiator shield. I mean, they'd probably be confused. They'd try to jack you. Bang! They run into the shield. Where is he? Nice. Yeah, I don't think I want to carry that through the brush though. That's a good point. Um, no, we we do carry bear spray. Does that work? I mean, we haven't had to use it, so I couldn't right. tell you. But oh, it should. Use it once and tell me. Because <laughs> I was thinking, yeah. like, I, I run through the hills. I was thinking, you know, I, there, there's an area where I run where it's really desolate. There's no one out there. And I know there's bobcats there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also now know that there's a mountain lion there because a buddy of mine saw a mountain lion there and it had a collar and then he heard about a mountain lion that got killed on the 5 freeway, and he checked a website. Is there a website that shows you the track, like where, where the animal has been? Um, th- there are that we can see. We don't share that with other people. But... I wonder how he found out. He, he knows a lot of people. Maybe he asked somebody. Yeah. But but found out that it was the the was the mountain lion that he saw in his neighborhood, and he lives pretty close to the five. Okay, and so uh, he was uh, explaining that you know like he saw it. Yeah, I mean we don't have many cats that are up there near the five, so probably he could have probably just looked at that map that you guys put up there. Even and it could have easily been one of those cats. Mm, okay, because there's just not many up in that area but that they, we have collared. But they do occasionally get hit by cars, right? Yeah, that's actually one of our biggest causes of mortality these days is them getting hit by cars. So we really? we work a lot with Caltrans to try to improve permeability of the roadways for wildlife and protect them from being hit by cars. I know there was a ramp that was being proposed mm-hmm. that they were going to put a ramp over the highway, right? Oh, here it is. Yeah. Caltrans proposes wildlife overpass on the 101 freeway. Now, where were they going to try to put that? So this is supposed to be near Liberty Canyon. This is Where's Liberty Canyon? Um it's just a little bit west of here near uh, Agora. Oh, okay. Um yeah, so this this overpass will be big for mountain lions, but also lots of other wildlife in our mountains. Mm. Um, so we have seen that the 101 freeway is a major barrier to gene flow. And so things like even coyotes, even though they're able to live in this super urban environment, that mm-hmm. 101 and the development along 101 is serving as a barrier that they're not getting across regularly enough to keep the population genetics up so genetic diversity south Uh, of the freeway is a lot lower than genetic diversity north of the freeway right right now Uh, that's for bobcats mountain lions and coyotes i have a friend who works at the tahone ranch do you know where that is yeah i have a buddy that works there too oh do you yeah i was actually just there this weekend and they were explaining to me that they had a camera trap on one of the water holes and they Mm -hmm. saw 16 different mountain lions Wow. They've got 16 photos of 16 different cats that are on that. I mean, huge ranch, 270,000 acres. Yeah. It's an enormous ranch. Yeah. Yeah. I um, I don't know how they could identify each individual lion. That's my first question. Like, yeah. How do they know question. the individual? Um, but yeah, I mean, mountain lions, they can be quite a few of them. I mean, a lot of times the mountain lions will come back, obviously, especially with a thing like a water source there. Right. Um, so I would I would question whether it was different or not. But, yeah, I mean, it's a place like Tahone. I mean, it's amazing, right? There's lots of different prey animals there. Oh, yeah. From elk to deer to um, That's a special other, place. It is. It's really crazy. Yeah. And the, the, just, I mean, everything, the wildlife, the flowers, the, the pigs, like, it's just a crazy, yeah, crazy pigs. place. It is. There's so many pigs there. It's, it's a nutty farm. I mean, a nutty ranch. Ranch. Well, it, it's so large. It's just, it's amazing. Like my buddy's like a cowboy up there. And so he took me for a tour to kind of see the ranch and it's, it's amazing. 
Yeah, well, it's the biggest uh, ranch in California. Yeah, two hundred seventy thousand acres is almost hard to like wrap your head around how big it is. But when you're there and you ex- go, how far does it go? And they go, see that third mountain range? We go to that. You're like, what? Yeah, over to the desert. Yeah. Over. Yeah, it's yeah. Crazy. I mean, it's, it's everywhere. And then the water for Los Angeles goes through it. If you see that gigantic oh, yeah. water pipe that yeah. goes through the, uh, the ranch, yeah, yeah, and you go, what? That's where all the water goes. It goes through <laughs> this thing. Like, it's just, it's just crazy. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Well, it's weird that we have a place that's an hour and a half outside of L.A. that has elk. I know. And that's like, yeah. we're so lucky. Yeah. Like, it's, it's just such a unique spot I know. in well, a lot of ways. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, used to be tons of elk here, right? Like, all the tule elk. I mean, they yeah. used to cover the whole area. The yeah. stories of tule elk out in the San Joaquin Valley there is just amazing numbers of elk. So Yeah. Well, also grizzly bears and grizzlies. Yeah, that's what's. <laughs> there's a uh, there's a town up near Tahoe that's named after the last guy that got killed by a grizzly bear in California what is before that? they wiped him out. God, I'm trying to remember. I'm trying to remember the town's name. Hmm. Damn it! But the uh, it's been confirmed that he was killed. They actually exhumed his body. And found it, you know, broken up into pieces, and really? one of his legs was chewed off. Like it was wow. Like he really <laughs> did get jacked by a grizzly really? bear. Apparently, we had enormous coastal bears, yeah. and that's why they wiped them out. It was just like when the settlers came here, they were like, "Okay, fuck this, we got to kill these goddamn things," because <laughs> yeah. they were like, you know, Kodiak sized, yeah. enormous bears. But well, obviously, they did a good job since we don't have a single grizzly left in California. <laughs> yeah, that's one animal, Lebec. Thank you, Lebec. Jamie. Okay. Lebec. That's that's one animal where people are not clamoring for a reintroduction. Yeah. You know, like. Well, truthfully, there's no area left for them. Yeah. Like the area that grizzlies occurred, we've developed, turned into agriculture, mm-hmm. urbanization. So bringing grizzlies back, I mean, you hear it every once in a while somebody say that, but I'm like, it's. They're too That's, big, and they need too much food. Yeah, and too much of that food is living animals, and uh, that would be yeah. a problem. Yeah. Well, even if that's, I mean, even all that, if there's no habitat, where do right. you put them? Like they're not, sure. they're not going to go live up in the high mountains. That's what we have. That's what we have protected is the right. Sierras and those type areas. Mm-hmm. And that's not grizzly habitat. So, well, we do have quite a bit of black bears, right? We do, but they can live up in the mountains. Yeah, they, they do much better in that scenario. Yeah, it's really fascinating to me how the whole thing is sort of like a, a a balanced system, and they all sort of keep each other in check. You know, California is a good example of that because it's one of the few states that that has a, a large, healthy mountain lion population, but they don't allow hunting mm-hmm. of mountain lions. So because of that, you have less deer. But and people will complain about that hunters, but also because of that you have less car accidents with deer. Yeah. Like if you live in like uh, I have a buddy who lives in Iowa, you have to drive slow because the fucking deer are just jumping out in front of the road every fifty hundred yards. I mean it's crazy yeah. how many, especially during the rut when they're breeding and yeah. they get silly. Yep. You see just dead deer every couple miles. You see a dead deer on the side of the road. Yeah, I mean we're a lot different, obviously, than the Midwest. Like you're talking about too, we got a lot less vegetation or a lot, a lot less rain, so we have a lot less of that good quality vegetation for the deer. So our deer numbers are also going to be in check, partially just because we don't have the the highest quality habitat for deer in most of our areas. Is what like so. what they just eating grass and stuff, right? Like what are they eating? They eat a lot of browse, a lot of brush. Sage, right? They eat a lot of sage. They can definitely eat sage. Um, there's a lot of like deer brush and just lots of variety of type of brush. I mean, you walk through there, there's tons of different varieties that they eat. Um, we actually have a couple deer radio collared right now that we're following, and they're they're always browsing on something when I see them. Usually something taller. And how do you capture them? Uh, we dart them. 
So you do you um, do you set like do you trap them and then dart them? Like how no, do you? No, we free dart them. Okay, so how do you do that? Um, you basically just try to find where they're at. I mean, it's basically hunting. You're, uh-huh. We're basically hunting with a dart rifle, so it, it's but a you, lot like archery, basically. I mean, your range has close. to be like really short, right? Like, yeah. So somebody really good with a dart rifle can probably get up to seventy meters or so. Oh, really? Um, I'm not that person. I'm about thirty meters with mine. Um, How many deer have you darted? I've only darted two here, um, but we're hoping we still have four more we need to do. So, so is it an air rifle? Uh, so there's two different types. There's one that's basically powered off a, C- a 22 shell. Um, then there's another one that's powered off CO2. Hmm. And so do you practice with this thing? Like, oh, yeah. how do you get good at it? Yeah, you practice. I mean, it's, it's like a rifle. You got a scope and all that. So you can kind of, you get it all sighted in. But the ballistics must be terrible. Oh, they're bad. And it's even more complicated because you want it to arch really lightly. You want to hit the animal yeah. as soft as possible because if you hit them hard, they're going to run. Right. And the drug, it's not like the drug takes them down immediately. We usually have about 10 minutes for the animal to go down. And Oh, Jesus, you'll and, never find them. Exactly. So it, it's really about like arching that shot in there really softly, hit them as soft as possible, and then a lot of times they don't go very far. Wow. So like what's the feet per second of the dart? Oh, I don't know. We haven't, we don't have the chronographer you don't have a radar thing that you shoot it through? We don't. You want to borrow mine? Sure. Okay. Yeah, I'll lend it to you. I want to know. <laughs> yeah. Because I think that's interesting. Like, what, like, because you must have, like, a, the drop must be huge. It is. Like, how do you sight in a scope for something? For people to know what we're talking about, like, if you shoot a rifle, rifle, a bullet goes very fast. So you could shoot out to 100 yards, and it essentially is going to go exactly where you're aiming at. But then when you go to 200 yards, it gets a little tricky, and you have to adjust your scope because it'll drop a little bit. You get to 300 yards, it'll drop a little bit more. 400 yards and out is where it gets really weird. Like, you're dealing with wind drift. You're dealing with drop. So I would imagine that a dart is not going very fast, so it probably drops quite a bit. It does, and it's heavy. They're fairly long. They're, I don't know, how many grains three is and a half inches. I don't know how many grains they are. Um, they don't come in those measurements, and I've never weighed one, so I'm not positive. Um, but obviously, because they are going so slow, they're dealing with wind drift at yeah. five meters. They can start doing it. So if you're Not in aerodynamic winds, either, right? It's not horrible. I mean, it basically looks like a syringe yeah. with a needle on the end, and we have some feathers on the end. Oh, so you have, so, like, fletchings wait, to make sure you... I wouldn't call it fletchings. It's That's what it looks like? Yeah, exactly like that. 20 ml air for 10.0 ml dart. What does that mean? So that's... Uh, you can put 20 milliliters of air for the 10... The dart that holds 10 milliliters of drug. Oh, I um, see. So that's That's a not the whopper. exact drug we use. We use one called, uh, I believe it's New Dart. Mm. Um, it's a little different. It actually has a, so ours, at least the ones we use for the deer, we use these type as well. Um, but for the deer, we use ones that have a little charge in them. So when it hits, it discharges basically by like a, a shell wood. Oh. It has a little bit of gunpowder in there that trigger, triggers off. Jesus Christ. Wow. So, yeah. so you have to sneak so. up on these deer and then do this. Yeah, so what I was going to tell you kind of how we adjust for that distance, because that's the last question you were asking. So the nice thing about our rifles versus a regular rifle, so you get one chill, and that's what you go with. With us, because it's air-powered, we can adjust our pressure. So to account for that distance, we know at 20 yards, we do two bars of pressure. At 30 yards, we do three bars of pressure, that type of thing. Oh, wow. So we have a little bit more adjustability than a typical rifle would. So are you walking around with a range finder? Yeah. And then you're you're changing it on your rifle as you go along? Yeah, as we make our decision, we cuz we don't like we don't walk with it charged. We 
I mean, our darts in there ready to go, but we don't fire. I mean, we don't have our our pressure up until we know what deer we're taking and the distance. And are you just aiming for center mass? No, you, hip. Hip. Huh. Why hip? Because that's where the biggest muscle is. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. So the the drugs enact in, um, intramuscularly. Right. So you need the So if hit. you accidentally hit the ribs, it's not good? Um, it's not great, no. It's it still will probably put them to sleep. The needles aren't long enough that it should do much damage. It's not going it to hit can. a vital, right? It's I mean, gonna... you can't ever say never, but yeah, it shouldn't. But it's not going to kill them. It shouldn't. No. no. Um, and the, we practice a lot to make sure we hit where we want to hit. Just yeah. Like, how do you practice that? Do you have a rubber deer that you shoot at? <laughs> uh, we have archery targets that we shoot at. Yeah. Wow. That's interesting. Yeah. And you, do you use a regular rifle scope or do you have like a scope specifically mm. designed for darts? No, it's a regular rifle scope. No kidding. Yep. Wow. So yeah. how often are you practicing? Um, before we do it, I practice quite a few times. I go out, like I don't practice daily like you do with the archery. Right. But I, I practice pretty regularly when I, right before I was starting these last two. We're kind of taking a break right now because they're fawning. And so oh, we don't want to dart them while they're of course um, getting pregnant and dropping fawns. We want right. to wait until the fawns get a little bigger. That's interesting, man. Have you ever missed one? Um, I haven't taken that many shots. Did I miss any of my shots? How many have you darted? Just the two. Just two? Yeah. And we, this is our first time doing deer stuff, so Fish and Game came out and helped us with these guys, and which was great. And you have to dart two more? Is that what you said? Four more. Four more. Yep. And why six? Is that just like you just want a good study number? That So we're looking at roadways and trying to identify crossing points for, well, I mean, we're not just doing deer, we're doing other species as well, um, but we're trying to identify where we can make improvements, things like that wildlife overpass uh, in other areas. So that's why we're we're doing that. And so we're just trying to get a, a sample size that we can kind of work with. And the collars aren't cheap. So it's it's about resources and what we have that we right. can use towards the project. And what and what are you trying to gather? Like what 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 data? So it's all movement based data. So they these are GPS collars. They transmit us um can be anywhere from I think the collar sixty points a day down to I think my low is eight points a day. And so it'll tell me, it'll give me an idea of where the deer are approaching the roadways and how they're moving relative to the roadways so we can help come up with mitigation to improve their ability to get across. Oh, okay. So it's all about their migration and where they're moving around and keeping them away from danger. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't quite call it migration, but close enough. That's the idea is just to help them be able to get across. Now, are they Columbia Blacktail? These are not. These are mule deer in our mountains. Mule deer? Yep. No kidding. Yeah. And are they they're p- like a pure m- mule deer? I believe so. Hmm. Yeah, the blacktails start a little bit north of us. I don't remember exactly where the cutoff line is, but... So, like, right around here, like in the hills and, like, Encino and stuff like that, those mm-hmm. are mule deer? Those are all mule deer. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I always thought that, too, because I've deer hunted for years, and I always thought blacktail, but no. Yeah. Once I got here and started working with them, I was like, oh, these are all mule deer. Now, how do they make the differentiation? How do they understand that? There's some just physical characteristic differences, and I think there's been some genetic work done as well. Because traditionally, when you think of mule deer, you think of a large deer with a big rack. Like, mule deer have enormous racks. Yeah, like, but... Like, that deer right there, that's a mule deer. Yep. Like, if you saw one of those around here, you'd be like, holy <laughs> shit. Yeah. Like, you never see a deer that big around here. No, I mean, there's some decent deer in these mountains, but yeah, it's, I mean, but mule, not all mule deer are that big. There's right, lots of, of places where there's mule deer that are still quite small, and that's just what we're dealing with here is the smaller. And do you think it's because of the, the predators? Like, they never really get a chance to get that big? Because the populations no. are pretty small. 
Or is it a genetic issue? We think it's a genetic issue. I mean, they're this population's been kind of isolated for a long time mm-hmm. from others, but California generally is not thought of to have monster bucks, even though there's plenty of mule deer in this state. Right. So it's more just a, a factor of what's here. And so north of us is where the blacktail are? Yeah. And what, like, where did that, where does that range begin? I wish I could, I'm not sure off the top of my head. I there's some up sort of interbreeding, back. correct? I'm sure there is, yeah. yeah. And they're viable or are they hybrids? I would assume they're viable, but I, I'm not positive. Hmm. Yeah, I'm not. I'm definitely not fully up on all the deer literature. So, um, what other animals are you guys concerned with, like their 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 safety and populations? So, I mean, we're worried about the whole community. I mean, mm-hmm. we do things with frogs, salamanders. We do surveys for snakes. Um, we actually have a red-legged frog reintroduction right now. A reintroduction? Yeah. So there's... People complaining? Not enough red-legged frogs? Well, they used to be here and we had a, a... Well, we don't really know why they disappeared, but they disappeared 30 years ago or so. And they were left in one little pool in one place. And so we're just trying to help them get reestablished. Dude, don't let Donald Trump find out about this. He'll cut funding. <laughs> red-legged frog. What? Yeah. We need that money to go to bankers. Yeah, I mean, it just seems yeah. it's it's so, fascinating to me that we do have these programs to like help out like a frog. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's all considerable about, man hours, right? Uh, it takes some, but it's not huge amounts. I mean, it's one person going out and doing these projects, and it's not like that's their only job. They have lots of different things they do. Right. So it's just one small part of their job. So they just bring like a bucket of frogs and throw them into the bushes. <laughs> it's not Good quite luck, guys. Yeah, not quite that simple. <laughs> they have to move egg masses basically is what they do. Oh, is that what they do? Yeah. Oh, so that when they move the egg masses, do they move the mom as well and or the 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 frogs just develop independently in they this de- new area? Yeah, they develop independently. They oh. even do that in their own area. The mom doesn't care for the frogs or any of that. Bitches. Lazy <laughs> bitches. So, so when they do that, when they um, when you drop off these egg masses in this place, so this frog will be born or hatch in this area, rather, and they just assume this is where they live. Yep. Oh, that's interesting. So if you took a fully developed frog and put it there, probably wouldn't know what to do with the area because it would be a new area for it. It'd be like, why am I here? Yeah, this isn't my project either, so I'm not... Hundred percent on it, but from my understanding is that they will try to move back towards their natal range, and then mm. they don't end up making it. So it's better to do the tadpoles or the eggs, and then they'll hopefully stay there. That's cool. So, what is the benefit of having these red-legged frogs around? They're just a part of the ecosystem. We think it's a good idea to exactly. It's just trying to protect the overall ecosystem. We don't really understand. I mean, we like to think we understand all this ecology and all that, mm-hmm. but there, it's it's complicated, right? We don't know the interactions between a lot of these species, so a lot of it's just trying to make sure that our full suite of species is there, so our ecosystems acting right. as healthy as possible. So, when you reintroduce the red frog, will there then be subsequent studies about the impact of the reintroduction of the red frog, red leg frog? And it's hard to know at this point. I mean, it's all based off funding. Like there, we uh, there's potential there, but right now we we don't really know. All right, let me. Uh, propose this to you what if you had an unlimited budget what if i made justin brown king of the world and i said listen dude you can do whatever the fuck you want with uh, all this money and what, what would you do like what are you would making you do me promises here no i wish i could i wish i could obviously no. i don't have that kind of power yeah of course yeah if i did though if yeah. i said listen man i'm gonna give you an unlimited budget to take care of this wildlife as you would see fit what would you like to have done well, one of the first things would be that wildlife overpass you see for our, at least if you're talking about doing things for what's good for the local right. ecology here, that would be probably the highest thing on my priority list because that is something that's not just affecting one species, it's affecting everything that's within our mountain range, which is fairly large, 150,000 acres. 
that there's just completely being disconnected from other wildlife. Mm. So to me, that that's our number one thing. The other thing is, so we have lots of issues with these poisons. There, I would try to find alternatives to these poisons that are being spread throughout the environment because that's a major issue for our wildlife. Yeah, that is a giant issue. When you see the mange that's on that cat and you, you think that that all comes somehow or another from rat poison, yeah. like whatever happened to rat traps? Like how about just use a trap? Yeah, people don't like to see blood. Is that what it is? I, that's my best assumption because people, you try to recommend traps and they just won't do it. But there's such a trickle down though when you're using those toxins. I know. It's, that's, that's frightening to me because that gets to people in some way, shape or form. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's my worry as well. It also leaks into the ground. Like there's, there's all sorts of weird effects that you can get from poisons. Yeah, I and mean, we don't even understand the effects. We put tons of toxicants out there that we have no idea the actual long-term effects or how it's going to change things. I mean, like these rat poisons, there was a long time they said it wouldn't move up the food chain, but we are quite clearly seeing it move up the food chain. To have a mountain lion die of rat poison is crazy. Yeah. Do they die of it? Yeah, we've had three mountain lions die of rat poison. Wow. And you believe this from coyotes? That's what we think, yeah. Yeah. So one of them, they went back to a few kills that it made right before it died, and they found that it killed a couple coyotes. Ah, wow. Wow. So. And it doesn't kill the coyotes. Uh, who knows? The coyotes could have been really sick at that point. And, and just maybe that's how the mountain lion got it anyway. Exactly. Yeah. So, because with these poisons, a lot of times these animals don't die for four to ten days oh god and so really? they're walking circles i don't know if you've ever seen like rats walking circles out around any of the buildings like i've seen yeah. it a couple times out walking around and that's generally what they're dying of they're dying they're they're dying of dehydration basically because they're just bleeding out internally <sighs> yeah so well nothing. that was actually in dan flores's book is that they had developed certain types of coyote poisons mm -hmm. that were slow acting so that they could trick these coyotes into eating this stuff and the other coyotes wouldn't know where the coyote got sick from because it took so long for them to die. It wasn't like strychnine where you eat it, you die. watch the other one die. die. And that, that's also what rats do. Did you ever mm -hmm. see that rat documentary on Netflix? I heard you mention it, but I still haven't seen it yet. Dude, you got to watch it. Yeah. It's amazing. It yeah. freaked me out. Huh. It's nuts. Like when, when they show the amount of rats that are in New York City mm -hmm. and they show all the people dealing with them and they show them in the sewer system and everything, it, it's mind-boggling yeah. and then they talk about how the rats will literally send a young dumb rat over to the poison and they watch that rat eat the poison and die and they're like fuck this rat here and they all take off like they've got a whole system yeah. for dealing with poisons yeah well because they did the same thing with rat poisons my understanding they they kind of gone through different morph of the poison to try to make them last a little longer so because the, the rats will do the same thing the coyotes do and learn yeah. not to eat it so that didn't surprise me they saw that in documentary i'll have to watch that there's no way to, to mitigate the problem now i mean the the rat population is so large in new york city they think there's many rats as there are people or more yeah well i believe it ah! <laughs> i mean i've been in little intersections down in la at night and just rats it looks like the ground's moving at times yeah. in these crazy locations like most of the places you see go you don't see that many rats but then all of a sudden you'll hit this called a honey hole for <laughs> rats yeah and they'll just be like Whoa, look at what the hell's going on here. I was in New York City way back in the day. It was so long ago there was pay phones. And uh, <laughs> I uh, had to make a phone call, and I was getting gas. So I pulled up to this gas station. Um, I put the you know pump in. 
I'm filling up my car, and I go over to this payphone to make a call. And as, I mean, in the time it took me to walk from the pump to the payphone, I'm watching rats jump onto the wheels of my car. Like, they're jumping on the wheel and crawling up and down. They're like, I don't know if they're looking for food or they're looking to get in the engine for warmth or whatever, but apparently people have a real issue with rats getting inside the hood of their car and, like, nesting. They, like, climb in there for the heat, and they stay warm inside the hood of your car. Good Lord. Yeah, I mean, they're so (laughs) adaptable, but they instantaneously did it. I mean, I pulled the car up, put the pump in, walked, turned around, like, what the fuck? I'm not talking (laughs) about, like, one rat. I'm talking five, six, seven rats just hopping up, and another one would hop up, and one would hop down. It was terrifying, because I was trying to figure out, okay, am I going to be driving, there's going to be a rat on the floor, and then I'm going to hit the gas instead of the brakes, (laughs) and I'm going to freak out like a little girl? Yeah, it was terrifying. Yeah, that would be creepy. But there's, they're just so adaptable. They I are. mean, and it's it's an, another, essentially, we don't like to think of them as a wild animal, but a rat is a wild animal oh, yeah. that lives in this weird symbiotic relationship with people in urban environments. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing. They're, that is the one species that's probably more adapted to us than the coyotes are, obviously, because yeah. they are able to live in almost everywhere that we live. Yeah, and they're, I mean, they serve a purpose in some sort of a weird way. I mean, and if they were removed, I wonder what the impact would be. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure we'd probably have more nesting birds and some of that kind of stuff because we know that rats definitely impact bird species. Yeah. Um, And who knows, there may not be, if there wasn't rats, whether coyotes or some of these other small predators would be around the urban areas because they're obviously another prey source. Yeah. But trying to get rid of rats is a whole another ball game. Good luck. Yeah, yeah. It's that's just, that's the one that's probably harder than coyotes to get rid of. You have to nuke that city. Yeah. You'd have to get everybody to agree, <laughs> <laughs> and then they'd probably move back in within a couple of years. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. Just, you're not going to do it. No. So this um, proposed bridge across the 101. What mm-hmm. is is there a roadblock to that? Is it a funding issue? Is it is there anybody that is against it? Uh, as far as we know, there's not anybody really against it. There might be a few people in the nearby community that's worried about more mountain lions coming in or something, but that's, yeah. we don't think that's a realistic thing because our You're population's only... at holding capacity from as far as we understand. So we don't think that's going to be a major issue. Um, but it's really about funding. We're trying to national wildlife federations leading the charge to try to raise, I think the cost, it's over $50 million Jesus. to do this. Yeah. So it's a, it's a big price tag. Um, the bridge is going to be quite wide. It's going to be natural covered, and it's going to has to go over the the Agora Road and the 101 both. And so, it's, oh, wow. it's, it's going to be a big bridge. So, how wide is that? Ooh, I wish I could call that off the top of my head. I, f- yeah, sorry, you'd have to look it up. I think it's probably on that thing you had up earlier. Um, so you're but, probably dealing but, with a few hundred yards or something. Yeah, I mean, it's almost as wide as it is long. Oh wow! Yeah, so it's going to be big. It's going to also have. It's going to be used for hiking during the day as well. So it's not just for wildlife. It's oh, also, so people can go across it. Exactly, because currently there's no easy way to go from the the Santa Monicas in the south to the Simi Hills in the north, which are all public property. So there's no way to get across there, so people can hike. They have to go down onto um, Liberty Canyon Road and cut across there, which is kind of sucky. So how does one raise money for something like this? Do they try to have like a GoFundMe or do they just rely on the the state budget? Uh, No, it's all they're doing fundraising, trying to get people to kick in. I believe the Annenberg has already offered to donate a million dollars matching. So they've got to raise another million to get that amount. Um, It's all 
for the most part, I believe it's all from either conservation agencies or from private donations. So if you were king of the world, that would be the first thing that you would work on as, as far as wildlife in California? Um, definitely for our region, yes. What about other, issue, other issues? I mean, habitat protection is just obviously incredibly important if we want to keep all of our species. So protecting more land is is always a valuable thing to make sure that, or at least to make sure what development we do is done in a proper way. Now, when you say protect more land, would that be like buying up available private land when it comes for sale and then turning it into public land? Um, to some level, I would it's consider like, that. I don't know if that would be my ultimate goal. To me, it's more important to lock it up so it's natural versus public, public versus private. Oh, so like so, to stop uh, development? Stop major developments from going in and putting things right in places that are going to be major blockages to wildlife movement. Yeah, Boulder is kind of interesting in that way where they buy up all the available property and then turn it into open space. Yeah. So you can't develop on it ever. Yeah. They're really smart with that because I think Boulder is an amazing place in that they've really recognized that they have this incredible sort of beautiful little community that's surrounded by this inescapable beauty of these, the mountains, the Rockies. Yeah. Well, you don't get much more beautiful place than around Boulder, so no. that makes sense. I mean, if you want to keep your communities the way they are, you kind of have to protect some of the land. Yeah, they're not into anybody developing there. They're like, yeah. nah, no, let's not do that. <laughs> it's really yeah. wise of them, but it's mm-hmm. amazing that they've imag- uh, managed rather to go so long without being co-opted by money, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of the name of the game. I mean, obviously, we need developments because our populations keep growing. So to me, it's not always realistic to say we need to protect every piece of land we can protect. But what development we do, we need to do it smart and make sure that things are protected in the proper places. Is there any other wildlife issues in and around this area that uh, are being addressed right now? Um, I mean, that's... That, those are the two biggest things going on that we're we're we're, we're actively trying to deal with. Um, yeah, I can't think of too many. I mean, there's always the little nuisance issues that everybody's trying to deal with, where a coyote is in somebody's yard or going after dogs or whatever that we try to deal with. But those are the two major ones: would be connectivity, um, habitat loss, and then just poisons. And are there a lot of raccoons in this area? Um, a lot. I would. It depends what you're comparing Healthy it to. Healthy population. Yeah, there's a decent number of raccoons. If you're comparing it to somewhere like Chicago, no, we don't have Chicago's anything. larger population of raccoons. Yeah, they're just much more adept there. They're just the way the landscape is. A lot more mature trees, mature forest, which is what raccoons like. A lot more water, um, which are all things that attract raccoons. Where we're a lot drier. Um, raccoons can occur within like our mountains, but they do seem to be more focused near roadways and some of that stuff, taking advantage of whatever resources are there. Well, they're big garbage hunters too, right? They definitely take advantage of garbage. Um, they'll also eat lots of fruits and stuff. So some of the scats you see in your yard that you think are coyotes, they could be raccoon as well. Um, they eat a lot of berries and stuff. So Yeah, I found some skunk poop. My really? friend, Yeah, my friend who recognized the uh, mountain lion poop, I sent him some stuff and I said, what is this? And he said, that's skunk poop. <laughs> Skunks are amazing. Like I... Before I started tracking these coyotes in downtown L.A., I would have never thought skunks could be down in that area. There's actually a decent number of skunks, like in that Westlake neighborhood. Yeah. I could not believe how many skunks I was seeing. I smelled skunk in Hollywood last night. I was driving through. It could have been strong weed, but I don't think it was. (laughs) I'm pretty sure it was an actual skunk. Skunk, yeah. Uh, I was leaving the comedy store, and it just stunk of skunk. And I was like, how weird that these animals have figured out a way to live right here in, like, right near Sunset. Yeah, I know. And they're, I mean, little short legs, not super mobile, but yet these striped skunks seem to 
have figured it out. Yeah, they 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 were going after my chickens too, the little creeps. Really? Yeah, yeah. They're they're apparently they like to eat chickens. Huh. That's interesting. Yeah. One night I actually had a. We were sitting in the house, me and my wife just hanging out, and all of a sudden I hear my chickens going crazy out there, and I'm like, we both got up and took off running. We have a lot of feral cats around our house, and I was like, oh, this thing cats are in there. We go looking around. Our chickens are flying all over the yard because we hadn't gone out and closed the door yet because my chickens can kind of free range my yard. And we're looking around. We don't see anything. All of a sudden, I open up the coop door, and there's a big old possum just sitting there grinning at me. Oh, those like, creeps. Oh, yeah. So it didn't get anything. It didn't affect, didn't grab one of my chickens, even though one of my chickens was just sitting there like looking at it and squawking. It's like, you should be doing He was trying. Well. He was trying, but he just didn't. They're <laughs> not very it. fast. They're not. Yeah. They're with possums. You like for me, they're another species. You don't need a drug to handle. I can just, you can just grab them up by the tail usually. And oh, really? Hold on to them. Yeah. Now you can just run up to them and grab them. People do. There's definitely, there was a guy doing his master's work on possums and he would drive around town. <laughs> and when he saw one, he'd jump out of his car. He'd be out hanging out with his friends. He'd see a possum, jump out, grab it, and cram it in his trunk. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> he'd throw yeah. it in his trunk? Yeah, that's that's dedication right there. <laughs> what did he do with it once he got it in his trunk? He was collaring them. He's doing kind of like what we do here, trying to identify their movements and going on with them what did they find out anything unusual i don't know i've never saw his talk i wasn't like i ran into him at a conference one time and we got chatting about what he did and i was like that's pretty hilarious it is really weird how many animals we live around i mean it's it's really weird there's so many different and such a wide variety especially Mm -hmm. when it comes to birds you know Mm -hmm. one thing that i see a lot of is um there's a lot of hawks in my neighborhood and we did this thing in our backyard where we had a, a wrought iron fence and we changed part of it and put a glass fence, and these hawks hadn't figured it out. Ooh. And they would swoop down and slam into the fence head first. We KO'd quite a few of these yeah. poor hawks. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, <laughs> but it's just amazing how many you find out there and how many predators. Mm-hmm. And there's yeah. the occasional golden eagle in this area too, right? We get reports of them coming through every once in a while, yeah. It's, they're not super rare by any means, or super common by any means, but they come through. Now, and when you, how would one know whether or not you're looking at a golden eagle? It's just because it's really big? It's really big. There's some other little characteristics that I'm not as good with, but they're significantly larger than like the red tails, which would be the one you'd be most likely to confuse it with. Yeah. It's just the wide variety of different raptors and these. Yeah. It's it's amazing. I mean, red-shouldered hawks, every once in a while we'll be trapping for bobcats and we'll catch a red-shouldered hawk on our traps. It's like, whoa, this is so cool. We've even caught a great horned owl once. And so it's pretty neat seeing some of these animals up close. And yeah, I'm worried that the owls in my neighborhood have been poisoned because yeah. I used to have quite a few of them. And you used to hear them all the time. You used to hear mm. them, you know, hooting all the time. And one time I went out in my back porch and there was one sitting on the fence and it was huge. I mean, I don't know how big it really was because I'm sure I was kind of freaked out by it. But I, I was shocked. It was at least two feet tall. And it was just sitting on this back. I mean, at least that tall. I mean, wow. no, no exaggeration, but yeah. it looked like it was like four feet tall. It looked, it yeah. looked, I couldn't believe how big it looked. Great horned owls are huge. Huge. Yeah. I big. mean, they, they can carry away foxes. Yeah. Uh, there's a study in Bakersfield that they've documented owls coming down, grabbing the kit foxes and carrying them up to their nest sites. I had it's a video crazy. on Instagram. It's still up there um, that I got online of this uh, owl swooping down and jacking a hawk in its nest. Oh, yeah. have you ever seen that? I haven't, but I've heard about it. My one of my coworkers actually is a falconer, and Whoa. he when he released or what did he do? One of his hawks got away from him, and he said the tree was just being swarmed by great horns. He stayed there all night trying to keep the 
trying to help his hawk stay alive. No kidding. Yeah. Isn't it crazy that owls eat hawks? Yeah. I, I didn't know that until he was telling me that. I'm like, that's crazy. I mean, great horns are huge, though. Check out this video because it's, it's really nuts. I was going to show you a picture I saw the other day. Do you know how long owl's legs were? <gasps> oh, yeah. Look at those legs. Never seen that before. <laughs> that's crazy. <laughs> Hard to yeah. find something even close to it, but. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. They're amazing. I got, uh, I worked at Cal State Bakersfield in there. They had a raptor rehab thing, and I got to handle great horned owls. When those guys flap their wings, it's like, whoa. It was pretty crazy. Like, comparable to the, the golden eagle. The golden eagle is definitely more sh- powerful, but that gold, the long or the great horned owls were pretty amazing. Well, our perception of them is so interesting because they're a serious predator. Oh, yeah. But if, most people don't think of an owl as a predator, they just think of them as some wise forest creature that yeah. gives advice on fire <laughs> yeah well they're obviously not a threat to you or me right but obviously your cat they could potentially grab oh, your 100%, cat percent, right um, yeah and who knows as people get smaller and smaller dogs watch this because you see the eyes in the distance see the eyes oh yeah check this out i love this video bing wow <laughs> the other hawk doesn't even know what happened yeah he's like what's up what's going on what's what's happening man is that a juvenile? They're I both- do not know. I don't know. They look a little fuzzy. Yeah, they do a little bit, right? Yeah. Especially the one in the back. Yeah. The one that gets jacked. Jacked. Wow. But the way it gets jacked, it's like, yeah. boy, that thing's dead before it leaves the nest. Yeah. Those claaws and talons are so gigantic. They are. They're amazing. Well, that's kind of why we want them around, right? Control rabbits yeah. and rats and everything else. Yeah. I mean, they're and also because they're cool. cool. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think that's a big thing about yeah. coyotes too, and mm-hmm. I, I wish. Some of these short-sighted folks that don't want them around because they're worried that they're going to get their dog and mm-hmm. all this different stuff. Like, man, we're really lucky that mm-hmm. we can see these things. I mean, nature is cool. It's cool to yeah. see. Yeah. Well, it's amazing now. I mean, being in downtown LA, a lot of these people that live down there, they don't ever get to see wildlife. Right. Now, all suddenly, there's this medium-sized carnivore running around their neighborhoods that they get to see. And some people, I mean, it's funny. I talked to one person that's like, scared to death of this thing and the next person's like it's the coolest thing they've ever seen in their life right and it's always that balancing act i mean i to me i've always been pretty fascinated with them <laughs> yeah i so. identify more with the people who think it's cool yeah. it's just it's we're, we're really like we were talking about we're really lucky we live in a very unique area yeah, yeah. in that we have this big city huge city yeah. and then just outside of it we have all this wildlife like mm-hmm. real legit wildlife you can mm-hmm. get from downtown LA to 100% wilderness in an hour. Oh yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, yeah or less. I mean, you less. Can get, yeah, you can get into like Santa Monica's yeah. pretty quickly from oh, yeah. most spots in LA, and that's you get in there and it's pretty amazing. <laughs> well, listen, man, I really appreciate you coming yeah. on here and sharing all your information and 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 educating us on this stuff. It's super cool, and thanks yeah. for everything you do. And uh, it's just it's really interesting that you get to share all this stuff that you're learning about these things. Yeah, well, really appreciate having, it, man. Thanks for having me on. Thank Joe. you. It's been all right, folks. We'll be back tomorrow with uh, my pal Al Madrigal. We'll see you then. Bye-bye. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for tuning in to the podcast. And thank you to our sponsors. Thank you to Squarespace. Squarespace is the way for you to make a podcast, folks. I know. You're like, I can't do it. You can do it, you fucks. I'm telling you, anybody can make an amazing website with Squarespace. It can be done. It can be done by you, more importantly. It's uh, it's not something that's difficult, and you can try it out for free. You don't have to enter in your credit card information. Just try it for a free trial and 10% off your first purchase. 
please visit squarespace.com forward slash Joe. We are also brought to you by ZipRecruiter. You can post a job to 100 plus job sites, including social media networks like Facebook and Twitter, all with a single click. Find the right candidate at ZipRecruiter's easy to use infer- interface. Interface? I can't work. I can't talk. ZipRecruiter's easy-to-use interface, and you can try it out for free by going to ZipRecruiter.com forward slash Rogan. That's ZipRecruiter.com forward slash Rogan. Try it for free. We're also brought to you each and every episode by Onnit. O-N-N-I-T. Use the code word Rogan and save 10% off any and all supplements. And thank you to Caveman Coffee for fueling us through this. CavemanCoffeeCO.com. Use the code word Rogan and save 10% off of any of their awesome coffee. All right. We'll be back tomorrow with uh, my pal, the hilarious Al Madrigal. He has got a new comedy special coming out, and uh, he's going to be on here to talk about that. I believe it's a Showtime special. Is it? Is that what it is? Do we know? Let's find out. Let's check it out. I'm going to Google it right now while I'm on the phone with you guys. I'm on the phone? I'm a fucking idiot. I just talk sometimes, right? I don't even think. Al Madrigal Showtime Is it? There you go Al Madrigal's got a Showtime special Um, It's called Shrimpin' Ain't Easy Get it? He's not pimping It's shrimpin' Ha 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 And it's on Friday, May 5th Because Showtime is racist And Al is Mexican No I made that up But that is Cinco de Mayo it's not racist to celebrate Cinco de Mayo. Everyone's so fucking sensitive. Like, you put a Mexican on Cinco de Mayo and everyone thinks you're a piece of shit. <laughs> I wish I wish there was an Italian holiday. I'm not even 100% Italian. It wouldn't even work that way. Anyway, Al Madrigal is fucking hilarious. He's an awesome guy. And I've known him for a long time. Al and I actually worked together way back in the day at Cobbs in San Francisco, where he's from. When he was the MC and he was just starting out, and this was like, man, I, I want to say it's the 90s. Anyway, he's awesome. He'll be here tomorrow, and uh, his special will be fucking hilarious because Al is a brilliant comedian. And that's this Friday, May 5th. So we'll see you then. All right, bye. Mwah.